the Ursa's claws. Hello and welcome to episode 132 of the Age of Darkness podcast. As usual, don't forget to like us on Facebook, subscribe to us on iTunes, follow us on SoundCloud. Uh, it, if you're interested in a shirt, we got still got a couple. I think, it was, I think we got like two hoodies still available. <laughs> I really need to make another batch. That's on Big Cartel. And you can send us an email at agedarknesspodcast at gmail.com. Darren, what are we doing in this 132nd episode? Something very different, aren't we? There, there is no strategy in this episode. What we are doing is instead looking at the past and the future. We're talking about events, aren't we? So um, we are talking to Alex from the Death and Betrayal podcast as a review of his LVO event. And we're talking to Lucas about the upcoming Adepticon, one of the upcoming Adepticon uh, events. The, yeah, the um, Furyx campaign. The Furyx campaign, yeah, absolutely. So... You know, for us, getting things out before an event is quite a big, big thing, isn't it? You know, it's not, it's unusual we get stuff out before something's actually happened. We are making an effort. Well, we are making an effort. Try to get stuff, things out timely. And after that, we'll, in Tales of Heresy, we'll be talking about, because this is kind of like an act break. We just finished a long series on Wolfsbane. We're about to start another series about Titan Death. But today, it's a little palate cleanser. We're doing one of the Primark uh, novellas, and we'll be discussing... Uh, a Ferris Manus Gorgon of Medusa by uh, David uh, Geimer. Which Didn't is interesting chat that one. Yeah, I know it's, it's way better than I thought it was going to be. I wasn't yeah. I wasn't sure going in, and and it, it turned out to be quite a, quite an interesting book. But we'll get to that. Uh, but I guess before we we, we jump into uh, discussing some events, I maybe... are we going to talk? Are we going to talk books while while we're on the subject to talk about novels? Are we going to talk about? Novels? Yeah, I think I think we need to we need to mention it because it, this can't this can't keep happening. <laughs> So did you get your uh, did you get your special edition uh, no. of of uh, um, uh, the end of the death part one? Well, fortunately, I'm going to stress fortunately. Um, I don't collect the limited yeah. edition novels. You got the maps, right? So I I go from I went for the decision of making maps because they're pretty pictures, um, and that suits my level of education. So luckily, I've avoided the complete bun fights that are the Games Workshop website when you're trying to get a limited edition and this weekend was horrific Let, let's be honest i with a kind of morbid curiosity i always look online to see how it's gone for people it's it's like watching a car crash in slow motion isn't it you people can't help were but look livid. At it. i don't know if you went on the games workshop facebook page i don't like really uh check facebook very much anymore um but uh, i i needed to go check what was being said on the black library well, page and it every, was not every, pretty no every social media that I'm a part of and, and just look at, there were riotous people, and probably rightly so, and probably rightly so. So if you're unaware of the situation, to be honest, if you're listening to this podcast, I'd be very surprised if you're unaware of the situation. Um, this weekend, of at time of recording, was the Black Library celebration. It's always a nice event. We, we love a book. We always love books. But GW made the decision to drop three or four limited editions, one of which being the Heresy limited edition. And there was a couple of others, uh, at least two or three others as well. And limited editions are some of the most sought after products that Games Workshop produce because they are good quality. Let's be honest. Yeah. The limited editions. They're gorgeous are books. Ab- absolutely. And they for bibliophiles are- like us, right? Like nerdy bibliophiles. I mean, this is. Yeah. What more could you possibly want? They're gorgeous. And- 
we also need to bear in mind there are some people whose only interest in the hobby is collecting the books. Let's be honest. Some yep. people don't play the games. They don't collect the models. They don't paint the models. They just read the lore and the stories and the narratives behind things. And they are the poor people who are also probably most likely to try and get for limited editions. And every single time limited editions dropped, the website has struggled and has been disappointed people. This weekend seems to be the worst it's ever been, possibly due to the amount of limited editions that were up for order, possibly because we're coming to the close of the Heresy series. I mean, we are now going into the penultimate book of the series, aren't we? I think what made it worse, and I think there's two two areas that made it bad for people. One was website crashing mid-payment, and then by the time people were able to complete the payment, products are gone. But I think what made the situation far worse than that is that you then click onto an online auction site and you see copies up for sale at huge amounts of money. Well, I mean, what was the most expensive one you saw online? The one I the most expensive one I saw was twelve hundred dollars Canadian. But I think yeah. there was one that was more expensive in pounds. That was roughly the same amount in pounds. But when I went on to eBay, because of course, in my morbid curiosity, I wanted to see what was that. It was like fifty of them on sale. The cheapest ones were around like five hundred dollars Canadian. Uh, so yeah. roughly uh, almost four hundred dollars US. And you know um, it, that. That raises questions, doesn't it? I mean, because they did limit one per account, which we you know GW and Forge World have done previously with this. No, they product. didn't do that, actually. Uh, uh, plenty of people did get more than one copy, but their orders were cancelled. Ah, so they okay. did it retroactively, which is right. even worse. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Uh, that is worse thinking you've got a copy for you and possibly a copy of your friend. I know a couple of people who are in mm -hmm. services were asking yeah, I, I read that to get too. copies. Um, you know, lots of people are saying it's bots doing it. I, I don't understand technology enough to understand it. I, I had a quick chat with a friend who is more uh, technical than I am. And he was saying, yeah, bots can easily do stuff like that. But it does raise questions. You know, we're now, how many books? Nine books into the Siege of Terror series, including novellas, plus all the other limited editions, which are Primark novels, which have come out before as well. In the greatest respect to Games Workshop, you would have thought by now they would be considering how yeah. this could be managed a bit easier. I've seen some crazy ideas online. I've seen some absolutely crazy ideas of people knee-jerk responding to things. I mean, they have in the past run the QIT system. Apparently, you need to pay for that. I don't know what the situation is behind that, so I don't really want to comment on that. Would that solve the situation? It would help the situation to some degree. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I've seen some people suggest that you pay for a series up front so the readers or, or Black Library know how many people are interested in the series, yeah, but then that makes it very hard. They, they do that with uh, the re-releases of, of the main series books. Yeah. Um, and that way, everybody that wants one will get one. I, I, uh, the only, I think the reason that they might be hesitant to do that is because of, I think for um, uh, the Special Edition Siege books, for example, they're, they, they have to be imported from because they're manufactured in China. And I think there's a lot, like a long lead time uh, yeah. for, for for that. So like people might not get their if it's print to order, you might not get them for a month or, or two. I have no idea. Uh, but if you knew you were going to get one, well, yeah, it, it, everybody that wants one can get. It is still an expensive luxury product. Um, yeah. And 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 uh, okay, so right now they they make like what a thousand of them, two thousand. 
So twelve hundred is it? Two, yeah, twelve hundred, two thousand copies worldwide as well. Yeah. As well. So if everybody so that wants one gets one, that's still only going to be like three, four thousand people. It's still rare, right? Yeah. They're not if they don't reprint them. It's still if people are just looking at that like a, like a future and you know, like an. I hope no one thinks of this as like an investment. Clearly, some people do because it's a bunch of copies on eBay. Oh, no, I, to be fair, I think you can look at it as an investment, can't you? Um, you know, whenever there's something living tradition and a first print run, those kind of things always gain in value over time. Yeah, but shouldn't be the reason that the, you the, the, pro- the product shouldn't exist to, to be a store of value. The product should exist because people want it. Uh, that yes. there's a desire for it and the rarity yeah. is a part of that desire but do a one-time uh print to order give people the weekend to order it it'll still be rare a lot of people will still miss out it'll you know you can still put it on ebay in a few years and make your money back for sure but that way uh, there's not this horrible disappointment people just get angry and, and people like stop uh, i've seen people stop collecting them halfway through and yeah. sell their, their, their because and- they can't get a full set I think another factor is you're not. Uh, they did change because don't forget when they first started doing limited editions, you then had quite a long wait until the hardback copy came out. So you know there was often three months, four months in between limited edition and the hardback. At least we're now getting the hardback at the same time. So it's not just people reading the limited edition and then yeah. able to put spoilers up about it. You know, everyone's able to have a reading experience of it all at the same time. I do think though, and you know. We're not a GW apologist on this web on, on this podcast, are we? Let's let's be honest. We you know no. we will criticize where there is criticism needed. Yeah, However, we try to stay positive, but in this particular case, I'm sorry, but GW has taken its, its lumps. This was a mess, absolutely, and absolutely they fucked up. But the only way that's going to improve is not by ranting on social media. Yeah, you know, I you, agree. you need to put in a you know strongly worded but polite email to customer services raising those concerns raising the problems with it and getting them to address it now you won't get you you're unlikely to get a response because probably the quantity of emails they're going to get you'll get yeah because a lot of people are absolutely they're gonna get a lot but it's the classic it's the classic thing isn't it that if you don't officially let gw know and i don't consider social media officially letting gw know Nothing will change. You know, we only had changes to the hardbacks being released at the same time as limited edition because people got in touch with GW and highlighted the issue. So, you know, we need you need we need to make GW aware of that. And swearing at them on social media is never going to achieve anything. That is true. But they but they do need to address it. You know, we know we've already got potentially one book left. Are we going to get a novella between part one and part two of End of and Death? Who knows? I don't think we will, but you know, we this, won't. This will make 10 books, right? Next round number, yes, I believe so. Yes, so I don't so, think yeah, we will get a novella. So there's only one left. And um, the bun fight over that final copy, if nothing else, people want it because it's the last one, it's the last heresy yeah. story in, in the series, not as a setting, but as a series. And things, uh, things are going to have to change, aren't they? Well, GW is going to have to look at how they do that. There's no way that there's not a solution to this problem. Um, there's no way they can't. It's a big company. This isn't mm. a, a, a small like indie company. We, we, we have the right to expect better from the largest uh, uh, like a company of, uh, in the hobby, in this particular hobby. We have a right to expect that like my session timed out as I, was, I, 
I got really lucky. It was a miracle. My session timed out and I just um, I'm more back on my browser and somehow I got back into my cart. Which shouldn't yeah. have happened. A lot of people, it, it timed out and they couldn't get back in. I got back in. I don't know. I don't know why. What kind of 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 uh, I, I, my prayers to the machine god were were uh, <laughs> must have been heard because somehow I managed to get the book. But like a lot of people, or just a, the endless cycling when you're trying to get uh, into your yeah. like you, you put it in your cart and then you try to get into your cart and then oh no, it's sold out. It's just, I mean, we, why we can't you figure that out? Cool. Yeah, we both know a minority of people who did get it. We we know a far large majority who yep. didn't. Um, that's what it could be said about it, really, isn't it? I don't think there's anything more we can say. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to gripe about this uh, endlessly. I think it's it, it, it's important that we address it. Uh, but it, please, if anybody from Games Workshop is please get the get the word out that this can't be happening. You can't. You can't. You, there needs to be a fix. It's not like it's impossible to fix this. Hire someone. Uh, uh, just get someone that that can fit because this shouldn't happen, and and it and if it's gonna happen every time and there's no fix, then maybe find another way of selling the books, um, because what you're doing isn't working. Anyways, I, I, let's move on. So let's. Talk no, I don't want. Yeah, I don't want this. I don't want this to be a negative uh, podcast. Yeah. Something, something bad happened. We address it. Let's move on. Yeah. So rather than talk about the main narrative, should we go over to Las Vegas? Go on a few slots and see what happened. Sounds good. Uh, let's bring it. Let's bring in Alex. Be right back. All right, welcome back. Uh, and and we are delighted to uh, be joined once again by returning champion Alex from the Death and Betrayal podcast uh, to talk a little bit about the LVO event uh, that happened a few. It'll be a few weeks ago by the time this drops. But uh, nonetheless, uh, we'd like to know how. Uh, we're very curious to see how how everything went and uh, the minor controversy that erupted. Alex, welcome it, back. Yeah, yeah it, it's mostly because we love hearing about events because JP and I never go to any, <laughs> so we, we we live through other people's experiences. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'm happy to uh, you know go out and make those experiences so I can give you guys something to live vicariously through. But uh, yeah, uh, thanks for having me on. I, I appreciate it. I always always enjoy hanging out with you guys. So, oh, you're, you're you're you've got an open invitation to this podcast, haven't you? So let's <laughs> yeah. let's talk about LVO. Um, mm-hmm. Other than the fact you you probably gambled all your money away while you were there. Um, I would imagine there were actually I didn't two have different heresy events, weren't there at LVO? Uh, That's the first thing, isn't there? Yes, yeah, so what I understand. Um, yeah, exactly. And 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 the way we sold tickets, it it almost looked like three. Um, so we did a, we did a, a competitive tournament on the Sunday at player request. Um, and so that was Sunday only, it was three games. Uh, you know, we, we capped VPs and took some of the chicanery of the game out and we didn't play any missions that had, uh, you know, like random D sixes for victory points or anything. So it really was like, you know, a quote unquote focus on player skill, you know, once, once your list is built, obviously. Um, but, uh, and you know, we we had six players show up for that, uh, and then co-committantly on the Sunday was the day three of the narrative, which is like a mega battle, which is where people could bring out their titans and their primarchs uh, and and all that kind of big exciting stuff and play essentially as many points as they want. Um, and we'll talk more about what actually went on during that day. And then and then we had um, uh, the first two days of the narrative, which was uh, the assault on Rio Prime day one and day two. 
Um, so, you know, at the end of day two, we did a, a couple of door prizes just in case folks, uh, you know, were heading home um, or weren't going to be around for day three. And then we did all the sort of awards, I guess you would call them, um, uh, on on day day three uh, for the entire narrative event. So it really, really encouraged folks to play through to the climax and finality of, so uh, of this did, chapter of the campaign. So did you have a choice and you could either do one day, two days, three days, you, so you could drop in and out if you wanted? So you could buy it as day one and day two, and then you could buy day three. We had the narrative experience package, which I think was $150 US, came with a t-shirt, objective markers, a um, whole bunch of like LVO swag, and it gave you a uh, ticket to day one, day two, and day three. Um, so you could really like buy the whole narrative experience and then you've got things you can use in the game and, and everything else. And, uh, and we had, we had 90 tickets sold for day one and day two, and we had 76 people show up. So, um, pretty, pretty good attrition rate. Pretty given, good. You know, things like COVID and stuff still exist. So. Yeah. I mean, I mean, to be fair, and, and being Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah. And being Did Las they, Vegas. Yeah. Was some of those people missing amongst the slots? Is that what you're saying? uh so i mean we had we had one other competitive uh player he's actually a british guy but like the day before he was like hey uh i'm not gonna make it for the first round for sure tomorrow um <laughs> that, that checks out gonna be that like and he showed up at the end of round two and so he's like yeah i'm not playing it all today <laughs> i was like yeah that's that's fine <laughs> that happens in schaumburg illinois i can only imagine what happens at, at, at uh, las vegas oh yeah yeah 100 percent. so um but uh yeah in in so it, it was it was exciting because i i think to date that's the largest single event with that kind of a population size because I know that we like overall we get more players at Adepticon, but we're usually spread out across more events. I think. Uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to look well, after Adepticon this year. It'd be interesting to look at to have a look at the numbers and see how that all pans out. So yeah, so I know the said, doubles event at Adepticon this year will for sure have more players than uh, LVO did because I think we're 110 or 120 or something like that sold out. That's good. That's good. So you said the narrative is over several days. Is it a separate storyline each day or does each day build on the other? How does it work? Yeah. So uh, we kind of have to take a step back for that, actually. So last year, 2022, was the first year I ran LVO, but it was also uh, the first year that it wasn't at Bally's um, or Bally's or however you pronounce it. Uh, and it was the first year it was at the Rio. So where I had kind of taken it over and I was really trying to reinvent how it how it you know lvo has been perceived typically for heresy and really sort of take it the step towards like the much heavier narration um last year we did the siege of ballast and i the the campaign there was over three days but uh, i didn't have the input on the schedule like i did this year so we had the mega battle on the friday and then uh, so we ended up doing like more of an attrition style so it's almost like you know we've been fighting in this place forever We've got big forces. We did our first day. The Primarchs and the Titans were there. And then the Primarchs left to go do their thing, continue on towards Terra. The Titans on the, the following day, then um, uh, they had their Titanicus event. So they just focused on fighting each other. And the larger forces ground each other down uh, over the, um, the Saturday in 2022. Uh, so we went 
you know, unlimited points mega battle to the Saturday was 3000 points. And then the Sunday was 2000 points centurion where it's like, whoever's left on the planet is really just trying to either escape or take it over or carve something out for their own empire or whatever. Uh, and last year I had kind of a kitschy mechanic that only somewhat landed. Um, but, uh, on all of the campaign contribution records, which was how I was receiving campaign scoring to determine which side was winning some of them had a little hydra symbol uh, embossed on them and um, that let me know that they actually weren't playing for loyalist or traitor and they didn't know but they were being manipulated by the alpha legion and the cabal who ultimately actually won the engagement in 2022 so the planet was destroyed by uh, the alpha legion and the cabal by utilizing another black cube um, yeah so, yeah and so you know it's everyone tried to scatter get off the planet just like they did in the book legion um and it allowed us to move into the next sector and uh in all last year i had very specific missions that walked you through a narrative from the side of the loyalist if you were loyalist and so you had your missions and you never saw what the trader missions were you had to try to figure them out and then the traders had their side their viewpoint of the the um the conflict really like asymmetrical missions it, uh, jp and mm -hmm. i have often said about titanic as being the best game that gw produced and that's one of the best things about titanic is the fact you've got those asymmetrical mission objectives you don't fully know what the other side is trying to achieve and you're not both sides aren't trying to achieve the same thing it creates such a different mission feel or game feel it's a yeah. lot more tactical it's a lot more strategic so i'm really pleased he did that yeah yeah and so um you know last year when i did that i was worried that i was maybe taking too much poetic license <laughs> um but it ended up being like you know the thing that folks loved the most last year so um so this year it allowed us to both go to a new planet both loyalists and traders which is rio prime uh and it's kind of a neutral planet not really within the imperium um you know su suspected that maybe there's some weapons caches on it uh, small human civilization, but nothing grandiose. So, you know, they, they weren't really involved. I was hoping there would be kind of more stuff like militia and stuff and, and that I could work in like a third faction, but I ended up removing that idea. But anyway, so, uh, both parties are landing. So I started writing the missions the same way I did last year, asymmetrical, let's walk us through. And I kind of realized like, you know what, how many times can I really write? We're landing on a planet and then fighting each other and then leaving the planet and still make it fucking unique. Um, and, uh, I was like, I'm just going to bend this. So I was like, you know, I was through four missions and I just threw it out because I was like, to me, this isn't unique enough. And if people are coming that were there last year, I don't want them feeling like they're just getting repeated. And, um, and I can't remember who gave me the idea, but it's another EO and, and I'm sorry, I can't remember who did it, but they did the same sort of thing that, you know, you mentioned with Titanicus. And I was already doing asymmetrical missions, but instead I found a means to empower more players, especially because I knew we'd have a bunch of new players who probably aren't used to such heavy narration. So I really tried to create a system where you can get as much out of the experience as you want, or as little out of the experience as you want. So um, I took a look at the missions in the main rulebook the six missions that we've got. And then day one, the Friday was meant to be a landing party. So folks could, folks were landing, they're making, you know, planet fall, small, smaller tactical forces. So it was 2000 points. Um, so no Lords of war uh, would fit in there. And, um, and uh, no, um, 
no flyers that didn't have a transport capacity because those would be busy in dogfights and trying to run interdiction to protect the transports as they come down, right? They're not going to be worrying about stuff on the ground. Um, and so that was kind of the only limitation that we had on, on day one. And I picked the three missions that could easily be fit into a narration of like, again, if somebody wanted to go that deep into it of landing on the planet, securing supply zones, uh, supply lines, securing, um, forward operating bases, et cetera. So they were playing three games on day one. And they had the option to choose their primary objective in each game from either Onslaught, Shatter Strike, or Tide of Carnage. But they could only pick one of those, or they could only pick each one once. So they can't like play Onslaught twice. And I think this also had some form of a balancing effect because how many times have we as players ended up in a scenario where it's the perfect opponent with the perfect mission on the perfect table that we just like, don't have a, a, a very good chance of succeeding in anything. Mm. And now when you look at that, you go, okay, you know what? He's probably going to take onslaught because his army's built for it and the terrain's built for it. So I'm going to take shatter strike because I think I can outflank him and take over his zone or whatever. Right. Um, and now all of a sudden you feel empowered to play that game and not feel despondent or hopeless about it. It's more reactionary, isn't it? It's, it's that level of strategy involved in mm -hmm. that. Then it's, it's like having a, a deck of cards, isn't it? That you can play at the right time. It's <sighs> it's not like stratagems. It's different to stratagems in 40k because it's more influencing it. But you have to be a lot more careful about when you're assigning those objectives because, like you say, that could be the perfect mission for him to be playing onslaught. But he yep. could have played that early in the day. He could have. Yep. Exactly. In which case, he could be putting himself at a disadvantage, could he? So yep. th there's there's some nice tactical thinking that has to go behind that, isn't it? And not always choosing the obvious one for the table or the opponent you're facing as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right. So there's there's a lot of opportunity there. Um, and then so those primary objectives net you victory points. The victory points are only used to determine whether you win or lose. Um, and if you win, then you get three campaign points. If you tie, you get two campaign points. And if you lose, you get one campaign point. Uh, and that's that's a system that I've used for years, um, a formula that I've used for years. Um, but then, uh, as we know, there's always secondary objectives to missions. So in continuing in the theme of empowerment, you would get two, you get to choose two secondary objectives. So, uh, you know, you, you've got um, the main mission book, uh, secondary objectives, which is slay the warlord, attrition, last man standing, the price of failure and first blood. And so you can select two of those in every game and you can select them. You could select the same two in every game if you felt like it. Um, but, uh, you can't say like, take slay the warlord twice in the same game. So you can't double up within the same game. Um, and again, so the players empowered and they can keep moving. Now, again, Again, you can you take as much or as little out of this as you want. So I also created the faction-specific secondaries, and you could choose your faction-specific secondary as one of your secondaries if you wanted to. Um, so I did a full suite for Loyalist and Traitors for um, all of the Legions. Uh, so even if you're a Traitor Legion historically, but you're playing on the Loyalist side, your, your mission-specific secondaries would be a little bit different from the Traitor equivalent. You know, so uh, for example, 
Dark Angels. On the Loyalist side, you gain one campaign point if you win more challenges with your Warlord than your opponent does, or if you destroy more Dreadnoughts, Automata, or Monstrous Creatures than your opponent. Right, So it's an either-or condition, uh, yeah. which is a little more flexible. Uh, and then if you're on the trader side, the first part of that is actually replaced with when, when you're, when, if you win a game against a loyalist dark angels player, you get one campaign point, or if you destroy more dreadnoughts, automata monstrous creatures than your opponent. So it kind of pulls from that monster hunting history of Caliban and would encourage you to sort of play towards your objective or play towards your, your army's theme and background. And those, That's sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, it sounds really nice. So it's nice to have those Legion-specific things, isn't it? And mm-hmm. how did you find people pick those? Did you find people tended to go towards their Legion-specific, or did you find they stayed, they kept with the core ones that they know and they're familiar with? Uh, so in, in some cases, um, some folks like always took it. Some folks took it in some missions, but not in others. Uh, and then some folks didn't take it at all. Um, but that's what the nice part about being empowered to pick those secondaries is. Uh, and that none of those actually influence whether you win or not. They're just campaign points. So you might end up in a situation where you're like, oh, my chances of winning here are not good. I'm going to play to my secondaries exclusively. And then I've lessened the the um, difference of their victory, right? So, you know, I'm going to lose, which will give me one campaign point, And then I'm going to get one campaign point for my legion specific and then you know what i can kill the warlord for sure so i'll i'll take that one as well and then i've got three campaign points which will match their three that they'll get for beating me now it doesn't quite make it even even steven so there's another mechanic that i introduced for this campaign um and again i kind of hijacked it and tweaked it from somebody else um so not a wholly original idea um but this would allow them to create more campaign points and sort of play to the the campaign specifically in the narration if they so chose to. Because again, it's not something that you have to do. So when they registered, they got their lodge coin like they get from all the events that I go to. So JP, don't forget to bring your lodge coin from Istvan 5 because they bank and you can use them as a reroll uh, in any of my events. You trade them to your opponent and you get a reroll. So, you know, we had a few people that, like, by the end of the first day, were up to, like, four or five um, watch coins because they had people use them early on, um, and they had been to previous events that I had run. But I also 3D printed uh, a series of, it was 120 total, so 60 female and 60 male remembrancers. And so everyone got a free model for showing up, which I think, you know, probably was nice uh and those remembrancers actually had a function within the game so on throughout day one two and three they could contribute additional campaign points to the war effort by using the remembrancer and so the remembrancer had the following profile ballistic skill weapon skill one they're not trained soldiers strength three toughness three because they probably have to be fairly physically fit to be on battlefields wound one initiative two because they're still slow uh leadership five because they are not soldiers and save six plus they were equipped with civilian clothes a picter and a network box and they had three special rules which were divine purpose picked capture and network upload so divine purpose was that if you decided to play with your remembrancer in the game then the remembrancer cannot be deliberately targeted by attacks or subject to challenges or precision strikes and must begin the game attached to a unit 
They're affected by blast templates and sweeping advances as per normal. And then if any wounds are left over on the unit, uh, they could pour over onto the Remembrancer as well. The Remembrancer did have an in four plus invulnerable save that could never be modified or ignored. And the Remembrancer must be alive on the board and not falling back at the end of the game in order to score any campaign points from picked capture that have not been uploaded. And so the picked capture is what they use their picture for. So if they are present to see and create propaganda for the war effort, then score the following campaign points for each of these events witnessed by the Remembrancer with li within line of sight and 18 inches of the Remembrancer model. So if the fall of an enemy warlord, if they manage to get a picture of you killing the enemy warlord, that's three campaign points. If they manage to catch one of your units sweeping advance of a retreating enemy, they get two campaign points. If they watch the death of an enemy character by duel in a challenge, they get one campaign point. And if they capture, if you're, if they see one of your units take an objective from the enemy, they get one campaign point. And so it's a means to create additional campaign points while playing in kind of a fun mechanic and utilizing something that we know existed in the lore and a means of morale that we know exists and has existed in war forever, which is propaganda. That is a, I love that mechanism. That is great. Yeah, um, it, it it was overall, I think, probably like the most exciting part of the most lauded um, part of the, the weekend, um, like from a pure mechanic standpoint, like people seem to have loved it. Um, you know, one, one guy didn't, and that's fine. Um, he sent me an email afterwards. Uh, it was just kind of like, I don't understand how one remembrancer can possibly influence a war effort. And I was just like, well, it's through propaganda, but I'm sorry if he didn't have fun. Um, there's nothing I can really do about that. There and is I tons of examples of, of, of pictures, songs, poems mm -hmm. that have like had real world and tangible effects on, um, on, on, on a war effort. So I, I yeah. think you're in the right on this one. Yeah. And, and that's okay. You know what I mean? It's, it's his perception and, and he's fine to have it. Um, but they did have a means of using network upload. So if, for example, one guy, Blake Hayes, he was surrounded. And so he used the network upload because he knew for sure he was going to get wiped out. And he didn't want to lose the five campaign points he had from the Remembrancer banked up through the game. So if the Remembrancer in the unit they're attached to in your controlling turn, do not move and do not shoot for that turn, then you've essentially saved your progress because they hunker down while the Remembrancer uploads the data to your ship in orbit. So that way you can create and distribute the propaganda from it and then you don't lose your campaign points so it becomes a bit of a gamble which is in theme with being in vegas so that was day one and during day one uh the titanicus event had theirs and so they'd use the same three two one win tie loss formula and he made engine kills the campaign points so in that event the traders kept winning their games but the loyalists had more engine kills um but the traders still ended up winning the day over there and actually helped win the day overall for the first day of the campaign which is um, nice because that really fits for the law doesn't it that those big engine battles really swing the tides yeah. campaigns don't know mm -hmm. oh, we, we see that throughout the beta garman campaign that's that's for me made one of the main reasons they rushed so many titans to the beta garman cluster yep yeah yeah it, exactly so uh so it was awesome it, it was cool and and it's nice to know that there's other people doing things. And so uh, actually the guy who runs the Zomortalis event came up and he was like, I want my shit to pour into this next year. 
as like, just like the Titanic is a guy. And I was like, yeah, we'll figure something out. Don't worry about it. So end of day one happens, the traders end up winning. And so, um, you know, the next day we go to get started. Uh, I believe the traders should have a reward for winning their first day. Um, but obviously not something that's going to like be game breaking. Uh, so again, fitting in the, um, Vegas motif, uh, they got a gamble that they could use before anything else has been established for the game. So before figuring out deployment zones or who has initiative or going first, et cetera, then the traders would get to choose and express to their opponent that, hey, uh, I either want uh, a plus one to my CZ initiative or a plus one to my reserve rules because they have better supply lines set up. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, I didn't have any complaints about it. So it worked out fine. It didn't, didn't bust anything too big, but you know, day two started and they went, they went on their way by secretly choosing their missions, just like they did day one, and then trying to figure out what their opponent is doing and, and playing through the campaign for day two with reinforcements. So at 3000 points. And by the end of day two, the traders had actually managed to make up the difference and get almost 100 points ahead. Do you mean the loyalists? The loyalists did, yeah. They yeah. they managed to come back from day one and kind of start to lead the war effort now, even with that small advantage that the traders had, So, which was cool. It was awesome to see, because uh, I think the loyalists have never won like a, an LPL. Like, I, I think it's always been like a trader player in some way, shape, or form. So, you know, that, that was cool. Um, and uh, we finished up day two. So day three, obviously the loyalists need some sort of a bonus, but uh, we were actually short loyalists on the day three mega battle. Um, so it worked out that they would get the quote unquote advantage or extra. And uh, we had the gentleman who ran the um, Adeptus Titanicus event, Vern, has a scratch built Imperator class Titan. So. Yeah, yeah, and he had the rules that GW published for it forever ago, and so he brought those. Oh wow! Oh, was that the original Apocalypse book? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. I yeah. love that book because they had so many units that didn't exist that you had to kit bash, like the Nurgle Plague Tower. No, it was, yeah. and it gave such a good insight into large formations that we yep. hadn't seen yet as well. Oh, yeah, oh that book is just a classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he brought that with him uh, in in the rules, and and um, and so I I had. The way that I've been doing mega battles were the same way that we did them at um, Adepticon there for Istvan, like the double tables, like several double tables. Um, and as some guys were helping me, because my ability to walk like isn't super good right now, um, like they had put two of them together and then there was like a six by four coming off on like an L and they grabbed the table and I was like, whoa, no, no, hang on. Just leave it. I love it. Um, so we had like one L-shaped table and the players that played on that treated the negative space on the L as like a giant mountain or something. So you couldn't shoot through it. Um, you had to actually walk around the L. Uh, and so that table had four traders on it and two loyalists. And the, the four traders had two reaver titans. And the loyalists, I think, in terms of like giant war machines, had two imperial knights or something. Um, and uh, so... Um, I came up to them and they were like, they were like, you know what? We're, we're in for it. Like we're, we're okay to be outnumbered. Like, this will be cool. We'll hold the line as long as I can. And I was like, just hold it till lunchtime and then reinforcements will get here. 
And so they were like, okay, we can do that. So they got like really jazzed up and, and they played real smart to make sure that they were still alive by the time lunchtime hit. And so we came and dropped the Imperator Titan on the table and reinforced them. So then they were like, yeah. And then, you know, all six guys at the table worked together with Vern to actually bring that rule set up to a place that it worked within Heresy 2.0. Um, and I don't know the specifics of what they did, uh, but I do know that they like doubled the whole point as an example, because they were like, no, no, like that'll be way too easy to kill as an Imperator Titan. And they kind of used the baseline of a warlord and then built it up from there while using the rules that are previously published. So it was a really cool thing to see, like, you know, just six dudes who don't really know each other, like working together to bring this really cool fucking thing that this guy's built onto the table and into a game and at an organized event, no less. Um, so that, that was like heartwarming to see. Um, and then we had a couple folks, uh, who had messaged me in advance and were like, Hey, I've got like a Z, a ZM, like a six by four. You want me to bring that for you? Like, do you want to use that for anything? And I said, yeah, bring it. So we had a 12 by four ZM set up. And, uh, one of the guys who was playing was also the guy who provided half of that ZM and he's a word bears player. So we made that a word bears ship in orbit. And so we had six people play on that, three loyalists, three traders. Uh, Craig actually jumped in on that um, because he was able to play while still running the competitive event. Uh, and the traders were winning, um, but I did have a series of terminals set up uh, that were provided by Office Dog Minis here in Edmonton. So he makes like LED light up terminals uh, for terrain. And so he donated some as a prize. So to demonstrate them for the prize, I put them on the Zone Mortalis. And he had two types of terminals. And so one type, you could interact with it in the Zone Mortalis and use it to fire orbital bombardments from the ship down onto any of the mega battle tables. And so when you did that, you targeted it and then scatter 2d6, but it was a nine inch blast with strength 14 AP1. Um, just, you know, to kind of give the visual of, say, in the trailer when Horus like calls down the orbital strike and you see it just melt the legs off a warlord. Um, and uh, so I know they did that a couple times and then there was a se separate type of terminal which they could interact with and vent one of the tiles on the zone mortalis. So then every model on there would have to take an initiative check and if it failed, it just died. Um, so it would get like sucked out into space. <laughs> um, and uh, and I, I, I imagine they at least vented one or two guys, but um, uh, the traders were winning on victory points, but so the loyalists were trying to just purge them off the ship. And uh, when I came to check up on them, like Craig had one unit of Jesteran just trying to hold out against like a custodian squad in close combat. And there was like Imperial Fist marching down the hallway to help finish the job. Uh, so I told the loyalists to come see me once they once they had won. And so they come up and they're like, yeah, OK, we killed them all. And I said, OK, sweet. Uh, so uh, you guys have have a choice to make here. And they were like, OK. And I said, you can scuttle the ship in orbit which will rain debris down on all of the tables so uh, each table would take a random scattered strength nine or sorry a nine inch strength 14 ap1 template hit said so, or you can crash the ship into the planet and they're like okay well, well like that sounds interesting how what would that look like so i said we'll go up to the top of the room and you guys will pick a trajectory from there and we'll draw that line and as many tables as it crosses, it crosses. And 12 inches on either side of that line will take a strength 14 AP1 hit. And every table that it does not cross will get hit with debris. And the debris will be the same as if you scuttled the ship. 
So they were like, yeah, I think we should crash that ship. So I said, okay, sounds good. Like, let's, let's go crash that ship. And I didn't influence them in any way, but they didn't think to ask whose side the Imperator Titan was on. So they aimed <laughs> it directly at the Imperator Titan and uh, and crashed the ship like into the Imperator Titan and it carved across two tables. Didn't kill the Imperator Titan. Uh, the Imperator Titan actually survived the engagement, but it took like five or six hull points. Well, hang, hang, hang on. An Imperator survived. Yeah, the Imperator managed to yeah, survive. You, you, broke, you broke the law. You broke the law. No Imperator ever survives the combat it's involved in. Well, too bad. This one uh, DSC Ray. <laughs> D- uh, DSC Ray. Uh, DS- DSC Ray yeah. is the only one so far, isn't it? Yeah, and whatever this guy's is named. Um, <laughs> That's too, okay. There's That's still two. there's still low percentage, is what I'm yep. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I didn't break it too badly. But uh, so anyways, they crashed the ship and, and carved like a big sway through two of the tables and then end up dropping um, templates everywhere. Uh, on one table, Fulgrim had a duel with Valdor and one um and uh and it, it was it was awesome um you know we we had a couple of uh, guys loved it like they went they went wild when they heard the ship was crashing into orbit they were going crazy um and uh so that that was cool like i was glad that that worked because i was kind of scared that i was going to have the same sort of reaction i did when it was like hey guess what the alpha legion actually won surprise um but yeah they they thought it was cool they thought it was awesome and the loyalists actually ended up taking the day and so all of those actions are going to influence if FLG still wants me to to do LVO will influence next year's. So the story will continue next year. We'll still be on Rio Prime, and we'll see kind of the next chapter uh, come to fruition based on the actions of the campaign and the mega battle. It's um, it's nice to have that continued arc, though, isn't it? Because then, if you're one of those players that's been to every event, you've seen how the story. Was- has progressed over time but if you're a new player coming in let's face it heresy is becoming a much more in- popular game amongst the wider community the wider mm-hmm. gaming community which probably influences the number of players you saw this year as well it's something i want to come back to in a moment actually um but it means they can join at any part because each year is a separate chapter for one of a better word isn't it it's a separate series if you if you want to use a tv analogy Yep. You've done the first two seasons. Next year is season three. Yeah, exactly. And and for some folks, like for example, Colton, like he's been he and his gaming group have been really hard on the push for Beta Garmin. And so um, you know, he was there last year and and then you know he's been off fighting Beta Garmin in transit from Ballast over to Rio Prime. And uh I was like, hey, you don't have suzerains this year. And he goes, No, he goes, so actually. Uh, in the beta Garmin campaign, because this kind of slots into that as well, he was like, uh, my suzerains got killed like to a man. He's like, so I didn't bring them because they're dead. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool, man. <laughs> like, so his Praetor's like entire retinue had died like on a shipboarding action. And so he didn't bring suzerains at all because he's like, it's not like I can just requisition a new unit of suzerains. And he's like, so instead he's like promoted some veterans or whatever. And did up like a veteran that's squad cool. run around I mean, with them. That's remarkable, real proper narrative player there, isn't it? It's I mean, but it's nice that he's following his own narrative because yep. no one else there, or probably very few other people there, knew that that happened to his squad. It's only yeah. him in his own mindset, in his own, you know, if you want to go back to the nineties, mind's eye theatre, mm-hmm. um, that has that storyline going, but. He's building up that narrative of his, of his legion, of his force, of, of that particular praetor. 
Uh, that's excellent. You, you've got to give your hats off to people like that, haven't you? So one of the kind of questions, now we've kind of talked about kind of the narrative theme and stuff and goes back to what I was mentioning earlier. Yeah. How many brand new heresy players did you have? So I don't know the exact count on that, but I do know that that one gentleman, um, I believe his name is Ben, and I'm sorry if if I'm misremembering who you were uh, from the weekend. There was uh, lots of drinks and lots of people, lots of new 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 faces, um, and uh, he actually came up and he said, you know, he's like, I played in the 40k last year, but I came over to check this out last year. And I guess I had spoken to him and kind of explained what we were doing and what was going on last year. And he's like, so when the new box set came out, like I went deep on it. He had a fully painted army, like full 3000 points. And he was just having a blast. And he was like, this is so much more refreshing from the tournament scene. And he's like, I'm not really worried if I win or lose. I'm just trying to play to the greater effort. And I was like, that's awesome, man. Like, I'm, I'm yeah. really glad you're having a good time. Um, and uh and and that was kind of like a, you know a, a nice bit of feedback where it was like cool like you know i'm doing something people are enjoying and something different um, and at the end of the day isn't that the most important thing that's, exactly. that's why we play these little games with little toy soldiers isn't it is to have fun and enjoy yeah. ourselves yeah it, exactly right so um you know I, th- I think the vast majority of people had a blast um and and that's all we can ask for uh if as any eo or or to or, or you know whatever yeah. your preferred moniker would be um but yeah it's it's it was cool and then actually uh colton actually won the savior of rio prime the gentleman who didn't bring suzerains because they all died he actually won the savior of rio prime award so that was like favored loyalist overall cool so let's talk army lists because that's always a hot topic of conversation isn't it that, that yep. that's always often what events make or break on should yep. it be or not that that's a different question which i think we'll save for another day but yeah. what kind of farm list did we see i mean let, let's kind of break it down into what kind of legions did you see were the non-legion forces there i'm interested in how you handle things like night households yeah so sometimes a hot topic on a narrative that that scenes. became a very hot topic so in 2022 we had like some list building restrictions like you had to be able to run a centurion list uh 2000 point centurion plus list so there were still some vehicles allowed and then you know you could go up to 3000 points which were the only restriction was that you had to have the entirety of your 2000 point list in there and so we had that 2000 points must be within the 3000 points list uh this year um which you know we we had last year uh and I, I wanted to do something similar, but I damn near got fucking crucified. Like I had people who were like actually sending me pretty bad direct messages. Um, and uh, in, in addition to, you know, whatever sort of negative interactions I was having in the public forums, like how can you do that? Like blah, blah, blah. So I, I actually relented and I, I gave back on what I, I didn't want to do. And I said, okay, I'll make, make everyone a compromise. Fury of the Ancients and Imperial Night Houses and Armored Breakthrough will kind of fight themselves in their own bracket because narratively, you wouldn't send a squad of infantry marines to deal with a night house. You would want to send another night house. And if you don't have another night house, you would want to send probably a tank company. And if you don't have a tank company, then you'd want to send your dreadnoughts. Right. Um, And so that's completely logical. Yeah. And so I relented and, and, you know, great and and so this actually had a bit of a negative effect and and we had 
out of 76 players, we had one Knight player show up and one Fury of the Ancients player. Um, after all of that. And so the Knight player felt like shit for a lot of his games because he built to fight other Knight, right? And yeah. the way that this sounded, it sounded like we were going to have like 15, 20 people with Knights and armored breakthrough. And, but it, it was just, I, I don't, I don't know where the reaction come from because those people didn't show up and play anyway. Um, and so the Knight player felt bad because his Knight list ended up being like really, really hard for infantry type lists. Um, and he was like, you know, I would have built this differently. And I was like, hundred percent, man, like I'm, I shouldn't have relented. I should have just stuck to my guns in the future. I will. Um, and in the future, my response will be, maybe this isn't the event for you. Like, if you don't believe that I'm that, you know, I'm being fair in, then well, this could is you not do fair. it where there's two different types of night household lists. One that's designed to fight against their equivalent fury or armor break from one, which is more designed because night lists, night households aren't what they were in V1. They're not, they're definitely not what they are in V1. I mean, they're still pokey. No. Don't get me wrong. They're still Lords of War, but the fact you've got so many armagers in there and if you can yeah. deal with dreadnoughts, you can deal with armagers. Exactly. Um, but I mean, I also had to design this entire event without the full rule set. That's true. Right? So, yes, that's true. you know, in, in what world would I know if they're going to be better or worse? Because some yeah. things got way nastier, right? In version one, Fury of the Ancients was pretty yes. same thing. It was yes. pretty easy to steamroll. Now it's arguably one of the hardest things to beat. Um, so can I just go back a step? So you said out there was 72 players, you said? 76 in the 76, narrative. 76, but only yeah. one Fury's list. Yeah, and it was an Alpha Legion. Yeah. No armored breakthrough. No armored breakthroughs, and so, so that's really against the the internet meta, isn't it? Which is where what you, all you see at the moment is armored breakthrough, or well, not necessarily armored breakthrough lists, but you certainly see a lot of people building fury lists, for example. But yep. you in the in the wild in the gaming environment that you saw in one event, and we do need to stress this only at one event. Yep. Minimal. Yeah. Yeah, and then in the competitive event, the six-player competitive event, we only had one um, Fury of the Ancients list, and there was no Night Houses. You know, so uh, the Night House can still be built in a very nasty way that can oh, yeah. just make the absolute, you know, absolutely ruin someone's day. You've got and, a Porphyrian in it, and the Porphyrian is one of the best units in the game at the moment. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? And so, you know, a again... This is. I feel like this is more my fault because I I kind of relented and agreed, um, but you know in in my mind because I had this remembrancer mechanic in my mind for quite some time, and I wasn't really sure how that would interact well with things like armored breakthrough or armored breakthrough is easier I guess because you just put the remembrancer on top of one of your transports or one of your tanks because they're small so they can fit. But, yeah. you know, when, like, you know, the night player had to basically put it on on his base. And I was like, that's going to be tough to imagine. Like, you've got an Armager, which is just legging it like 16 inches. <laughs> and there's a Remembrancer just sprinting behind it faster Hold than Space for Marine. Hold yeah. for legs again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. And, I mean, that was the main driver of why I didn't want things like that in there. But in the future, and, and based on that, I'm just going to be like, you know what, man? We had two players last time, and both of them would have been able to play other lists. So, like, it's, Yeah, I mean, it's, hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Like, let's, uh, yeah, yeah, ex exactly. But, you know, I, I feel bad for the night player um, 
And uh, and the Alpha Legion player, I think, didn't like max out contemptors and stuff. He had brought you know like some box knots and toned it down a little bit and brought some non dreadnought units as well, because that's the other thing. Like even in the restrictions that I initially had, which I think was like one dreadnought or vehicle or walker or whatever per two infantry units, I think it was, um, or something like that, or per five hundred points. I can't remember exactly what it was now. But you still could have built a Fury of the Ancients list. You just would have had to add other th- like things other than Dreadnoughts into it. Yeah. Because Fury of the Ancients, Ancients isn't exclusive to you can only have Dreadnoughts models in here. Like it's just your Warlord gets to be a Dreadnought and he gets like a retinue of Dreadnoughts. And then you can take uh, Contemptor Dreadnoughts as troop choices. Yeah, it's a, it's a moving around of things, isn't it? it? It's moving around rather than exclusivity. So, yeah, anyway, yeah, let's, let's exactly. kind of move on from, yeah. from the Fury and so, the Households. So what yeah, other legions, yeah. what other forces did you have? Uh, we had uh, everything was represented uh, except for Solar Auxilia. Oh. Yeah, um, so no Solar Ox, but I know there's a few guys that were working on some. So we'll see those next year. Uh, I'm sure. Um, but uh, we had two custodian players, I think. Um, I'm interested to have a custodian's gone. Yeah, uh, one of them um, one of them actually won best best in show. Uh, and um, but I, I couldn't tell you from like a win loss or any sort of ratio like that. I, I know neither one of them had the most campaign points or even in the top three. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, okay. um, Emperor's children actually had the highest. One of the Emperor's Children in the top five or two Emperor's Children players, um, the top five of campaign points, I should say, uh, a traitor Dark Angels, uh, which is Noah. And, and Noah does this cool thing, which I, I got to shout out like every he, every year he comes and he, he gives me one. So I've got two of them now, but he prints enough for every one of his opponents and he gets like parchment paper and he like hand writes a declaration of war in calligraphy and then seals it with a wax seal. And so at the beginning of every one of the games that he plays, he like hands the declaration of war to his opponent um, because it's like this real sort of knightly noble like thing. Um, and then just as like a friendly thing, he gives them dice. Um, and so uh, depending on which LVO this is that he's gone to, he gives them like, uh, you know, dice with that Legion number on it and that color. So last year um, he gave me some Emperor's Children dice and anyone who played against him got like purple dice with a Roman numeral three on it. This year it was silver dice with a an Iron Warriors on it. Uh, so a four. So nice nice guy does some cool does some cool fun nice. things. I, I like the personal declaration of war. Yeah, I, I love it. Like, um, and I'm glad that he's still doing it because he he did it last year when we did the narrative thing, and I was like, oh, this is crazy. And um, and then we got it this year, and he he brought one for Craig as well. And then uh, yeah. Uh, so you know, from there it, it it ended. We we had a couple of prizes available, none of them based on performance. Um, so we had the Savior of Rio Prime, which was um, which was uh, uh, Colton, and then we had the Scourge of Rio Prime. And I actually can't remember who that is, and I'm sorry. I, I think Sam had won it, but then he wasn't there at the award ceremony, so I had to give it to a runner-up. And I hand wrote that on a piece of paper, and I don't have that paper anymore. Um, so I actually can't remember who I gave it to, but, uh, but I know Colton was asking if I could make him like a sort of like an award certificate almost for like the scourge of Rio prime, but more like, you know, this is in recognition of great acts of heroism. And 
I was like, yeah, for sure. And I think he wants to incorporate that like onto his um, display board um, and incorporate that as part of who his Praetor is and his Praetor's story and journey. So his Praetor was the savior of real prime um, in the initial conflict, uh, which is cool. So I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll make you something and, and uh, I'll email it over to you and you can get it printed on whatever you want it or whatever size you want it printed on. And so uh, Scourge of Real Prime, if you're listening to this, hit me up on Facebook, Arthur Alex, and I'd be happy to do the same for you. And then we had Best in Show, which was voted upon by the players. And as I mentioned, uh, a custodian player won that. And uh, we had tons of prize support. So Office Dog Minis, as I had mentioned, donated a couple of his terminals. Music City Heresy dropped off two tumblers with uh, the Music City Heresy logo on it. And they also had poker chips made uh, for the reactions. So kind of like the reaction markers that you could buy from a while back, but they did it on poker chips. So um, we, we had two sets of those, uh, which was cool. Um, I I donated a, a Kratos out of my pocket. Um, Miles had donated uh, some tuition time and we had battle bling uh, store gift, gift cards and we had versatile terrain gift cards. Uh, and then GW actually... Um, uh, well, they gave us like $850 Canadian worth of prizes or something like that. Um, so massive prize support from GW, which is awesome. It's huge. And then uh, Frontline Gaming had given us uh, four mats for the uh, narrative and, and three mats for the competitive to give away. And then we had like the big army painter paint set um, to give away as well. So were those prizes across both the competitive and the narrative? No, the, the competitive got mats. They right, got okay. mats, and then I 3D printed actually some trophies up, okay. uh, which like now I'm going to start making those even for like the narrative prizes, um, just because they looked awesome. But the narrative ones are instead going to be more statuesque. So like I'm going to change the plinth from looking like a trophy plinth to looking like a Roman like statue plinth probably. So that way they can use it as terrain. Yeah, that right? makes sense. Um, yeah, so like you know, they'll they'll get this little terrain piece. It won't actually say what it's for on it, but um, they'll get that terrain piece plus the prize uh, for kind of the main thing. So, like you know, the Scourge of Rio Prime would have got one. The Best in Show would have got one. The Savior of Rio Prime would have got one. And then the gentleman uh, who won the um, Remembrancers Lifetime Achievement Award. And so, um, you know, we I'd had a few achievements as well. Like I tend to do those just for fun in, in the other games, and that lets you come up and pick a prize. But I, when, if you win something, you always get to come up and choose a prize off the table. And so I start with kind of the the more prestigious, quote unquote, yeah, um, awards, and then go down from there. And so uh, the Emperor's Children player, uh, Christian, he was actually very, very closely tied with Noah, the guy with the declarations of war, um, for the Remembrancer's Lifetime Achievement Award. Um, but you get that through kind of a cross section of all potential awards. So, you know, how many campaign points did you get total of those campaign points in this instance, how many of them came from the remembrancer? And so out of this guy's like 60 some or 70 some, uh, campaign points, like 60 of them came from his remembrancer. So like he really leaned into the remembrancer mechanic, um and then he had you know a couple votes for best in show and did he you had, say he was an em- emperor's children player he was well. an emperor's children player, there you yeah. go that fits narratively doesn't it because they have the highest proportion of remembrances yep. in the fleet yeah exactly and so, uh and then he he had a he had um i think he was like second place uh or like pretty close to tied for second place for the scourge of rio prime so like he really improved people's weekends and his please own. tell me Please tell me the Sons of Horus play a Purge Remembrances at the end. 
Uh, I don't know, but I do no. know. I do know that Christian had won a special achievement that I added last minute because he comes running up to me at one point and he goes, "My remembrancer just murdered another remembrancer." Um, so, uh, <laughs> and he he had like a, he had chosen one of the female remembrancers and she killed a male remembrancer. Uh, so the units they were with had totally wiped each other out and just they were left in close combat. So he rolled for the ballistic skill one. <laughs> And then managed to just like get a wound. And then that person failed their four plus invulnerable save. And he just shanked the other remembrancer, the loyalist one <laughs> uh, awesome. and bled out on the field. <laughs> so I had to, I had to add a new, uh, a new achievement, which is like number of people killed by your remembrancer. Um, and he's the only remembrancer that had a kill all weekend. His, his was, um, and, uh, so I gave, Ado- I, I adopted into world eaters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, well, it it reminded me actually of like the painter on the ship in like book four, uh, who like yeah, we don't talk we, we don't talk about yeah. that remembrance. <laughs> yeah, um, but anyways, uh, so I gave him like a, a mini for that because um, I had like a Victoria's miniature, and uh, and it was it was actually another lady that was just more armored, and so I was like, cool, your remembrance now is a thirst for blood, and is like more than a remembrancer so here you go um and uh so he's like okay that's cool and then he ended up winning the remembrancer's lifetime achievement award so he's on his way up to the table to pick a prize and i was kind of like well hang on man i was like this is a very prestigious award so you don't get to choose a prize but you get a very prestigious prize instead and so he looks kind of confused and almost like should i be disappointed or not and so i reach into my backpack and I pull out a Horus Ascended for him that GW gave us. <laughs> oh. And you, I swear, nice. man, it, it looked like I was giving a kid an N64 in 1997 for Christmas. Like, <laughs> it was, he lit up ear to ear. It was awesome, man. And now he's starting a Sons of Horus Army. Uh, and he had the thing built by the time he got home. See, once um, you get a remembrance, so that's that's what set you down the path eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was actually his Fulgrim who killed Valdor as well. Um, so he had a good weekend. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Let's, let's kind of round this off then. So let, I'm going to do a typical kind of teacher thing here. Top three things you're taking away and the three things you think to work on for next year. Yeah, so... Um, uh, number one killer prize like that seems to go a long way. So for me, a big highlight was actually like seeing how, how excited he was in getting that. Um, and I don't know if that's a selfish perspective or not, but I, yeah, I don't know. I loved it. Um, the extra game mechanics are okay to put in. So if you're another EO and you're wondering like, Oh, can I deviate from the game? Yes. And page 157 supports that in the main rule book. I think it's 157, uh, which says this is a framework by which to create your narration. So don't be scared to do something creative or cool. Uh, and three, uh, crashing, crashing spaceships into uh, Imperator Titans is fucking awesome. Um, so, uh, but as kind of a also like, cause that one's kind of jokey. Um, I used QR codes for the first time. So I only had to print uh, everyone's campaign contribution record. And so if you were loyalist, you got a loyalist one. If you're a trader, you got a trader one. And the mission pack, like so the main narrative pack, as well as their trader or loyalist specific secondaries, were all housed within a Google Drive called the Loyalist or Trader Op Center. And that allowed them to just scan the code and they could see the things, cut down on printing costs, environmental impact, and 
it's kind of cool because you're getting your orders on your phone, right? Um, and then uh, in order to assess things like from day one to day two, who's winning, uh, you know, who's best in show, who's best painted, et cetera, all that stuff, I used Google Forms. And I was able to do that through a QR code as well. Uh, so my my big learning, like my top, top number one learning, uh, I would say is... Um, I now know how to use the Google Forms better because I, I noticed a couple deficiencies uh, in the Google Forms and the questions, which would have made my life a hell of a lot easier. Didn't impact anybody else's. It just would have made my life a lot simpler. Like, yeah, you know, it would have been five minutes of data analysis instead of 45 minutes of data analysis. Yeah, had I been used, intelligent about it. <laughs> having, used, yeah, having used those for work, I know what you mean. It takes a yeah. while to get used to it. But once you get used to it, it's a very powerful system. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm going to continue to do that. If you're running a narrative event, I think that is probably your best bet is using something like Google Forums. Because um, everyone can enter their stuff on their own. And like, you know, last year, I did it all via paper, and we had like 40 players, and it took me like an hour to crunch all that data. And I was like, I can't do that for 90 people. Like, I'll be doing it all day. Um, and uh, plus, like, you know, Last year it was like a hundred dollars worth of printing. This year it was like thirty, um, because it was just printing paper and printing the campaign contribution records, which I printed extras of, and then you know I printed uh, a printed copy of the the mission pack and the trader pack and the loyalist pack and all that stuff, just in case someone didn't have access to QR codes, they could take a picture or whatever. Um, and so one person actually did take advantage of that. He was a uh, British guy as well, and he was like, "I don't have data plan while I'm here, so." It's like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And then, you know, you just borrowed somebody else's phone or whatever to input the Google form stuff, you know, side of that, uh, number two learning is like, stick to my guns. Like, um, cause given the squeaky wheel, the grease didn't do anyone any favors. It just, it, it hurt the night player. It hurt the people that the night player played against. And it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I just won't do it in the future. Like in, in the future, uh, it'll be a pretty hard stance on like, if you don't believe this is fair, like then this isn't the event for you. But based on what we've seen and the feedback we've got, this is what people want and that they're okay with. But anyways, uh, and then third one. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, come check it out for yourself. Talk to someone who's at an event. Don't, don't talk about what's on the internet. Um, come check it out for yourself. Uh, it's, it's wild. And like, I mean, the, you know, the, the, the examples that we saw of dudes having a great time, those like six dudes working together to create the Imperator Titan rules, just cause it's awesome. Like, this is the stuff that we can do when our number one objective is just playing the game. Like it's a choose your own adventure. Let's uh, make it sound cheesy. Heresy was the winner. Yeah. Yeah. If we, if we want to make it yeah. a, a cliche 90s yeah. <laughs> end of TV show, state, yeah. heresy was a real winner here. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, but the, the biggest thing is the QR codes and the, um, in the Google Drive. Like that made managing it so much easier because I know, I know Big John and, and those guys had tried using Best Coast pairings for Loyalist versus Trader and it only kind of worked. Um, and, you know, I, I tried to help them figure that out, but admittedly, I'm not an expert in Best Coast pairings. Um, but the Google form just made it so much easier because you can just filter by loyalist trader, filter by day one, day two. How many points did you get? Whatever. 
Um, and when you don't do a podium finish or, or prizes for performance, like guys are less concerned with it and they're more concerned with having a cool story and doing something awesome. Right. And that's why Christian came out with the Remembrancers Achievement Award and a horse ascended. Sounds really good. I mean, I'd love to get there one year. It's an awkward time of year. That and Adepticon, as, as I've spoken to with JP many times, it's right of two busiest times of year academically for me. So there's no yeah. way I can make it. Oh, yeah. The timing is off. The timing from people who <laughs> yeah. work in academia is not going It's more doable for someone in North America. For me, it's only a couple hour flight. But for you, getting to Vegas would be like, what, a 12 hour flight? 10 hours? I'd, yeah, something like that. Plus the time to get to London and the time to get, you know, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 it's <laughs> it's awful. But you can drive to Warhammer World. This is it. This is the win. I balances have. out. So, yeah, it does. It does. It really does. But anyway, that's great. Thanks for coming on, Alex. It's, it's always love, lovely to live through other people's events and hear what's going on. It sounds really good. I, I'm, I have to say, I'm sitting here immensely jealous, especially seeing an Imperator walk. Kind of surprised it lived, but there we go. And I'd love to see the adaptions and the rules. The remembrances rules. Is there any chance you can witness a copy of that? We'll put it up on the Facebook page if people want to have kind of have a go at that in their own games. Because I would certainly be interested in trying it in some of mine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can throw it over to you. That's that's a non-issue. Um, it's not like a crazy proprietary thing or anything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and uh I can't remember what where I got the STLs from, so I can't send you a link for that. But if you just That's Google people, like Imperial Civilians, you'll find something. Yeah, there's quite a few out there now which are much more accessible, things like that, aren't yeah. they? But there we go. Brilliant. JP, any final words from you? You're going to take your Night Lords next year? Um, yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> just real quick, um, yeah. you want to preview... Uh, beta garment okay, oh it's yeah, coming no. up so you want to do a quick pre- <laughs> uh, preview of uh beta garment at adepticon and then maybe uh plug yourself before we uh, sign off yeah sure um so beta garmin is going to run very very similarly to um uh, isfan 5 uh last year so you'll you'll remember that one um so you know we'll have a few mega battle tables set up and then we'll have a few sort of like tables for people who just want to kind of do their own thing um i have i think there's a nighttime zone mortalis event now so we won't we won't probably won't have any access to zone mortalis tables so i won't be able to offer people the option of crashing a ship into um oh into but since it's garmin. beta garmin though are you giving people the option of perhaps playing titanicus uh yeah yeah so they, they, i mean if you've ever been to one of my events especially like this last lvo or the one before like i'm pretty fucking fast and loose um you can do pretty much whatever you want while you're there uh at the mega battle we actually had um a few dudes from california who built their own mission based on like uh, a conflict at beta garmin and they were like you know we don't get together we don't have access to like massive tables and stuff like that but we want to do this and so they brought two of those imperial castle and strongholds or whatever and they had like the salamanders assault um like a trader position, like an emperor's children position. And they're like, do you mind if we, if we play that instead of the mega battle? And I was like, no, fill your boots, do whatever you want. It sounds awesome. Um, and so, you know, they, they did their, their own little mega battle thing. They still paid for it. They still paid the, the cost of the mega battle, but instead of doing that, they really wanted to do that instead. So I let them. So if you, you know, if you want to come take part in beta Garmin and you want to play Titanicus instead, yeah, I'll find some way to accommodate that. That's a non, that's a non-issue for me. 
or even if you wanted to play Battlefleet Heresy and you've got the means to do that, come Excellent. down and play Battlefleet Heresy. I'll find a spot for you to play it. Even if yeah, I it, set you up on the floor next to the EO station. And uh, Beta Garmin did sell out for Adepticon, but uh, yep. I, I put myself on the wait list and I got in. So if you're not oh, you did? It, okay, awesome. <laughs> get get on the wait list. Uh, there's, a, there's a good chance. And this is always my Adepticon tip. Just show up for the event. There's a good chance someone got someone's too hungover to play. Yeah, or you know they didn't fill out their visa information correct and didn't make it on time. Yeah, that also happens <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, if, if there's an event that 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 filled up and 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 you couldn't um, so you couldn't book, show up anyway with your army. There's a good chance you're going to be able to play anyway. Yep, hundred percent. Just yeah, one final question about adept gone. Just one yeah. final question: Is the Praetor wrestling match going to be on? Uh, you'll have to be there to find out. Yeah. Um, I, have you seen those SN report uh, like add-on rules? I guess you'd call them. Or yes, I'm. I dig a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of them Craig and I were already doing, but we were doing like you know one dreadnought yeah. for 500 points. But I, I I like a lot of those. I want to and um, actually I think Darren, I think you had talked about this on one of your recent episodes. And it's something we've we've been doing as well. Like interceptor isn't unlimited. You still you're still restricted to the maximum three. Yes, that, that that actually came up on a recent um, Mournival FAQ as well. Oh, did it? Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Mournival put out a separate FAQ, but it's something we're something we've been talking about in our group. That yes, all specs gives you the right to have use intercept, but you're still limited by the number of reactions you can make in turn. Yeah. So. So you're still limited to that hard cap of three. Possibly recent discussions we've we've had is all specs can add on to your reaction tally. So you know, like you you end up with one reaction, don't you, in the movement phase? Yeah. Some warlord traits will give you a second one. What we said is all specs can add on to that initial step of one, but it can't take you above three. Mm. So you're still paying for the right to use interceptor, but you still yep. got that hard cap of three. So you're following that main rulebook rule of you can never exceed three reactions in a phase. Yep. But yeah, yeah, yeah so I like that. We, there's lots of things we're playing around with. We're, we're trying to we're trying to make it fair for people who use deep strike and people who have to react to deep strike mm-hmm. without going one way or another. So yeah, there's different ways we're playing with it at the moment. So be interested what what you you guys try out and see how it works as well. Yeah. Um... Yeah, it, it would be something else that I know this is kind of like way off kilter, but like that we've we've been toying with Craig and I is like there's no reason why a Praetor shouldn't be able to buy a console upgrade. Interesting. Oh, like like the more we thought about it, because like it it's come out of playing through Beta Garmin, like, you know, my my vigilator from the Raven Guard is kind of really becoming this cool character. And like, well, I want him to like lead a force after he gets off fist fan. So then, you know, I still need Master of the Legion and stuff. But if I upgrade him to a Praetor or a Delegatus, he loses all of his Vigilator skills, which makes no fucking sense. Yeah, I, I, it, it's, it's like D&D dual classing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's effective what you were saying. It's, you don't forget what you've already learned. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm like, hmm. So we're gonna start. We're gonna start playing with that too. And again, like the purpose is not to make like unbreakable, ridiculous things, and it's more to promote like. Uh, a character that you've already got like oh you know this guy was forever like a chieftain in the sons of horus and now he's you know he's been put into command 
He's not going to suddenly forget his stuff. And, you know, I'm not just going to be like, okay, great. Here's your Paragon Blade for making it to Praetor status. I do yeah. feel that there, there's a there, there's a space for more uh, customization. Thankfully, if you play narrative campaigns, like you should, um, Book four. Now that's not Book a problem. Four. Book for <laughs> customization rules. Yeah. But you, again, you're not supposed to use them. Um, there was a brilliant thing that I, I, I never played it because it's 40K in the new edition of 40K. Um, they had the idea of, of um, there, there's a rule set where you can essentially build your own Custom, you can customize your own uh, stuff and use it against other people that haven't customized their crusade, things. The crusade rules are amazing. Yeah, the crusade rules, yeah. yeah um, and and since everything has a amazing. point cost, it balances out, right? So yeah, my, yep. my Praetor has a bunch of upgrades that I got through campaign games, but he costs a lot more. Yeah, exactly. So I mean, like, why would you not be able to do that with, say, like, well, the only reason the, only, the limit that I would have on that is that, unfortunately, there's going to be people that, well, well, why can't I just, you know, cost out upgrades this is no yeah the whole goal is to get you to play narrative games and have character yeah. upgrades through games but someone's going to be like well that's unfair i'm just going to give uh, my character all these upgrades directly that um, that's the joy of doing it within a your own gaming group exactly like that, though, isn't it so but that, that's a discussion for another that's time, another right? yeah, that's, yeah. That's a discussion that's another game, game. yeah cool. should we round it out there all right yeah uh, i actually don't think i Shouted us out. Maybe I did. I don't know. Anyways, check us out on the Death of Betrayal podcast. You can find us on Instagram at the DAB podcast, um, facebook.com slash DAB podcast. And uh, I've got a guy, Frank, coming. By the time this comes out, actually, I'll actually have things posted on uh, Crescent Edge Creative because um, my friend's coming to teach me how to actually take good pictures because I paint well, um, or I think I paint well, but Peter. I take really like bad pictures of it. So when I post a picture, it's like, was this bag of shit like it's blurry and i can't see it <laughs> and uh so i got a friend coming to teach me how to take better photos so crescent edge creative will actually start getting a little bit more attention excellent and also don't forget uh road to beta garmin and the road is coming to an end soon that's right the push is almost done oh, the po- push the beta garmin. god damn it it's okay i almost did a good job uh Shout me out. Good enough. <laughs> Good enough. Yeah, it's close enough. Yeah. Anyways, it, it's almost, we're almost there. We're almost at actual beta garment. That's in six weeks from recording. So probably tomorrow. Tomorrow. When the show yeah, actually tomorrow. comes out. <laughs> when we get yeah. JP will be on the plane to a desk. Yeah. It's like, God, God, yeah. but I knew I forgot something. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Alex, as usual, thank you so much for coming on. Um, and, and we'll talk to you soon. Right on. Thanks, guys. I appreciate Alex. Welcome back to the second uh, second part of our, our, our little series about this winter's awesome 30K events. And we're incredibly delighted, very happy to welcome um, uh, Lucas Lyon on the show. Uh, uh, Lucas and I go uh, way back from the De- uh, from DeptCon. And and we want to talk about the uh, the, the Ferex uh, campaign that will be happening uh, this March uh, for those uh, that are lucky enough to have, uh, to have jumped on that. Yes, thank you for having me on. Uh, I just wanted to come on and kind of talk about uh, what we're doing at Adepticon and what we're also going to be doing going forward. No, it's really great. Thanks for coming on. I mean, it, this is just another segment where I get to kind of sit back and just seethe in jealousy over what I'm missing out on again, doesn't it? So it's fine. Well, you don't have to. Money can be exchanged no, no, for goods and I services. Really, <laughs> no, because we've <laughs> we've discussed this before on the show. 
because of a job I do, I cannot get out of that. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> I don't know why they put it in the, the busiest time of the academic calendar. Yeah. yeah. Of what is there be swamped in teachers, that's why. Right, you can't, and you can't please everybody. I'm sure if they put it in no. August, people would be like, it's football yeah. season or whatever, like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but I'm going to live vicariously through you guys. So it's great. I'm really excited about this one because obviously we just heard about LVO from Alex. That's the past. Now we're going to be talking about the future. So, Lucas, can we start off with just talking about kind of the nuts and bolts of the event? We'll, we'll save the narrative from the gamey aspects of it for the second part of this discussion. Let's talk about the nuts and bolts of the event. So what, how many games are we looking at over the weekend, the organisation behind it? What can you tell us? Sure. So um, just a little bit of background on me and then Ferex as a whole. So I've been a long-time Adepticon attendee. Um since 2015, the only one I had to skip was last year, and obviously the ones that didn't happen. So uh, I have never run an event at Adepticon before, but I have run events um, not quite this big, but I've run like 30-man events down here in Texas before. So I have a little bit of uh, event running experience. And then um, this is the first time I've hosted Ferex because I actually inherited Ferex. From uh, one of our dear friends, David Komen. Uh, he ran Ferex from, I think his first event was in 2017. Uh, he unfortunately passed away in December of 2022. Very suddenly, a young guy. It was very, it's very tragic. And uh, some of our, some of the Ferex veterans decided that we were going to continue that in his legacy. So, this is the first time Ferex has been to Adepticon, um, but it will not be the last. So as, as far as the event goes, we have a big linked three-day narrative. So we have uh, Ferex Day 1, Ferex Day 2, and Ferex Day 3. It's two games per day. Uh, we try to have a little bit more of a relaxed schedule this year rather than like starting at eight o'clock in the morning and running until 6 p.m. to squeeze in three games. We decided that we were going to uh, just run two games. We go from 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. in kind of the day slot, if you will. And then on the first two days in the evening slot from 5 p.m. to midnight, we have a uh, Zomortalis mega battle. Two, Ooh, that's two different kind of events of that. So that was like a big favorite of David's was uh, he has, he had quite a bit of Zomortalis terrain. And so we have 18 feet of matching Zomortalis, four feet wide, 18 feet long of matching That's Zomortalis so awesome. from uh, Death so Ray awesome. Designs. So uh, Death Ray Designs has been a huge, huge, huge supporter of our events. So um, we just, we'd like to thank them. But we have quite a bit of their stuff for um, for Zomortalis. So we're going to do this Mega ZM. It's going to be 16 players, 8 per side, with 2,000 points per player. So uh, wow. that's been really fun in the past. And we have, um, like I said, we've blocked out the 5 p.m. to midnight time slot. So hopefully that's enough time for us to play our game. We're going to have to run kind of a tight ship, but that's okay. And does that fit into the main narrative as well? Is that just like yeah, yeah, yeah? It's all it's all linked together. So uh, the main narrative, um, I actually have an audio recording that we'll play in a little while that kind of goes over like how we got to this point, uh, as well as setting us up for. There's 
the two events, the main like three day linked is called Ferex the Outer Reaches, and the Zomortal's Mega Battle is called Ferex Station Upsilon. So basically, what it is is uh, this is an outlying planet in the Ferex system. We've been fighting to secure a beachhead for many years in the Ferex system, loyalists and traders, and they're going to um, the uh, this this planet called Nazar, which is where the Outer Reaches is held which has an, a giant orbital called Station Upsilon, that they've named Station Upsilon. Cool. So we don't really know what station, it's all abandoned. We don't really know what Station Upsilon uh, does. Uh, there's also a mysterious kind of spire that's on the planet right under the station. And so in the audio, you will kind of hear about what that does. This seems like a, Seems like a good uh, segue uh, to, 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 to play the clip, I think. Sure. Well, let's do like a talk show. <laughs> so uh, you, you apparently you have a clip for us. I, I do. I actually have um, two different clips. Uh, there's one that, that sets up uh, Ferex just in general. And then there's a clip called The Road to the Outer Reaches. And that sets up us getting to Nazar. And then... I don't have it ready for, well, I don't have it ready for this podcast today, but on February 25th, we'll be launching the third and final pre-event audio, which you can find on our website, which JP will hopefully link in the show notes. Yes. And I will definitely, uh, I'll, I'll write it down. So otherwise that I will, will go live forget. on, that will go live on February 25th. Um, well, we have an announcement in the Adepticon Horse Heresy group and all of that, as well as over on our Discord. Um, we have a Taking of Ferex Discord. You can also get to that through the website, which I'm going to link JP. And we're actually doing a giveaway on our Discord. Uh, when we get to 100 members, we'll be giving away a Contemptor Dreadnought, a new inbox Contemptor Dreadnought. And then I'm thinking we're actually going to do another giveaway when we get to 250. So if we can get that far, we'll give away something cool. We'll give away another like plastic kit or something. Excellent. All right. Let's let's roll the clip. Roll it. The Firex cluster. The unexplored cluster of star systems, which would later come to bear the name Firex in Imperial Record, was discovered when an anti-pilot patrol hailed a small cargo vessel with no logged destination or manifest data. When the smuggler's ship was confronted by the Imperium's warships, the captain decided to flee into the warp. He hoped that without the proper preparations, the Imperial vessels could not follow. Luck was not on his side, however, as the Dauntless class Nihontu immediately powered its warp drive in pursuit. The unplanned jump put an immense load on the ship's navigator, not only with the strain of sailing the Sea of Souls, but also tracking the small smuggler's vessel. The fugitives broke warp after a very short time and powered subspace thrusters to maximum in an attempt to escape. But the Imperial vessel was close behind. Upon translation, the Nihontu's cogitators began picking up readings from the surrounding system, and the hollow displays and command consoles began to fill with data. 
the crew cross-referenced the information they were getting from the sensorium against known star systems in the Imperial Register with no matches. As the Nihontu closed on its prey, the astropaths began relaying this data back to the patrol. The message came through very faint, but it was clear that it carried a warning of the uncharted nature of the system. The last telepathic communication included the navigational information for the warp exit point, and a final word, Firex. This communication would be the last message ever received from the Nihontu, and was relayed with priority to Sector Command at Galaspar. Upon further review, metallurgic readings and unidentified trace element quantities hinted this uncharted system was vast and hailed remnants of a potentially advanced civilization. The data was logged and forgotten until the wars of the Horus Heresy ravaged the galaxy. Both sides, desperate for the resources that would allow them to gain the upper hand, discovered this long-forgotten report. They gathered what forces they could and made haste to the Firex Cluster. The Road to the Outer Reaches The Steps of Perdition The first planetary body targeted by forces loyal to both the Emperor and the War Master was a small irradiated planetoid. Of little importance itself, the treasurer of perdition lay on its moons, Proteus and Yemeni. The Imperial forces were primarily committed to Yemeni, focused on securing the data processing hubs and Archaeotech facilities that speckled the far side. They were hoping that in these ruins would lie information that might reveal the secrets of the system they were now engaged over. Traitor forces, having arrived slightly ahead, were initially deployed between both moons. With the Loyalists almost completely committed to Yemeni, the traitors withdrew from the moon and consolidated their legionaries on Proteus. In doing so, securing a massive communications relay and several mining and ore processing facilities on the moon. These would prove to be important resources in establishing control of the entry point to the cluster. And it was from these moons that the legions would launch their next assault deeper into the system. The Hadrian Incursion Hadrian, the site of the first all-out engagements between loyalists and traitors, was a long-abandoned tech world with manufactorum mineral processing plants, and ancient hive cities nearly completely encrusting the planet in man-made industrial systems. With fleets engaged in orbit, drop pods fell to the surface, trying to secure critical infrastructure for each side. As more troops flooded the battlefield, the engagement zones moved over the world in a terrible tidal ebb and flow. Tactics would evolve as the planet was engulfed, and before long it became clear that both sides would rather see the entire planet raised than let its resources fall into enemy hands. 
with tactical opportunities dwindling, weapons of old night were unleashed, which absolutely ravaged the surface. Many of the structures were reduced to twisted, smoldering rubble from the intensity of the fighting on the surface. Any possible resources Hadrian held had been systematically targeted, fought for, and then destroyed. In the end, Hadrian was burned. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, what can you tell us about this? Uh, <laughs> about how uh, the production of this, as someone that dabbles in 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 audio content myself, I'm quite impressed by how good that sounded. Who's this gravely uh, gravely voiced British man you found? Thank you. Uh, his name is actually Baldermort. He's on YouTube. It's called Baldermort's Guide to Warhammer. Um, he was gracious enough to uh, do these readings for us. Um, me and another teammate put together the scripts for them and then sent them over to him and he did them. Uh, and then we put them to a little bit of background music. And yeah, I'm not jealous at all. Of how not at all. No, they are very much inspired by your own dramatic readings. We really like those. And so we wanted to kind of do the same thing for our events. <laughs> whereas well. you do the black library. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm Joey. No, that's really, that was really good. That was really, that was fantastic. So good, and there's Thank there's you. lots of hooks there, isn't there? What I, what I like from from how we've analysed the text before is you've got so many little hooks, but it's still so open that you can introduce new elements in the future. Yeah, that's kind of the plan. Um, we're kind of uh, so far we've kind of been just getting to the edges of the Ferex cluster. So as we continue to have events, we'll be moving deeper into the Ferex cluster, and we're going to see. What lies at the heart of Phyrex? Ooh. Can, can you tell us now? No. We have to wait? No, 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 no. Ah! We have to wait. We have to wait. So there's actually going to be a third pre-Adepticon um, audio release on February 25th. So that'll be really fun. And that will Excellent. be like, um, on our website. Can we uh, slot into the next episode? Would that be okay? Sure. Absolutely. Excellent. No, this is again fantastic work. I love love the background, and it just shows that the core of this this hobby it's it really is the narrative. Yeah, absolutely. So, in terms of that background, then, if we go back to what you've produced and what we've just been listening to, it sounds like there's no prescribed armies that everything is available for a player to sign up to and use. Am I reading that correct? Yes, absolutely, and that is um, kind of by design. Uh, we plan on running events in the future which don't allow named characters, but we decided that for Adepticon that we would want to uh, allow named characters and Primarchs. It's kind of the it's kind of the headline event, so we didn't want to restrict anyone too too much, you know. Absolutely, and I think that's important, particularly for for, for large gaming events like Adepticon, LVO, etc. You need to keep those open because you don't know what people are coming along to. So, kind of, can we just dwell on the armies for a minute? Because I'm, I'm always interested how people, different events, different games go into that. So, what's kind of the army size? Are there restrictions? How are you handling, for example, named characters? So that, there's that's uh, a basically one, isn't it? There, it is a little bit. Um, so we're doing three thousand points in the main narrative, in the main, you know, three game linked, and then we're doing, like I said, two thousand points per player in the Somertalis. So 
we're not allowing Primarchs in the Zomortalis, even though it is kind of a mega battle. Um, we kind of felt like that was a little, little bit too much. So you can bring regular named characters, but no Primarchs. And we're doing uh, Highlander named characters for everything. So there will only be one of any named character on any given at any given time. So players can actually sign up for like day one separately and then day two separately and then day three separately. So we don't have the same players playing in all three days. So we had a character claim where you could claim per day. So like if somebody wanted to play with Fafnir Ran on day one, somebody else could play with him on day two if they didn't want to or didn't get a sign up or didn't want to sign up or whatever. Okay, I think that's a really good idea because then one person's not locked into that character all weekend because everyone has their own favorite characters, don't they? Have you thought right. about, shall we say, some of the more extreme armies like Night Households or Fear of the Ancients, which is quite hot in the meta in some points of a moment? Have you considered about how those are going to be handled or is that just to turn up and see how it goes on the day? We have considered it. Um, I'm very much plugged into the meta. Uh, I would like to think that I know what's going on. So I know about all of that. I'm aware of it, but I decided not to restrict anything. Um, from my perspective here in the United States, at least, um, the LVO was the first big 2.0 event. Like there was Warzone Houston last year, which was pretty good size, but LVO, I think had almost a hundred. Yeah, well, we've just been talking to right. Alex about that in the previous segment. And for the narrative event, he was saying there was only one um, Fear of the Ancients list, I believe. Was Is that right, JP? And there were no night households. So people self-restricted themselves, as we've yeah. seen so often in this community. It yeah, was people were complaining about night households and then no one brought it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so me personally, uh, I don't really think the night household is that oppressive. Uh, with the new rules with like the right right with the armagers and everything that you have to take i really don't think it's that bad but um i've only played against it once in the new edition so it's kind of hard to say but yeah we're you know we we are a little worried about some of the stronger rights of war like Fury the ancients and stone gauntlet maybe is one that's come up or even some people really aren't liking playing against um Night Lords Terror Assault. They think that the pinning and all the modifiers is a little oppressive. But we decided not to restrict it. Uh, yeah. Um, because we kind of, in my opinion, in order to really figure out what the meta is going to shake out, like, you know, I use meta in kind of a loose term. It's kind of a joke. But to really kind of figure out how it's going to shake out, I feel like you need to play the game as it's written at least once, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'll completely so these agree. are like some. We're still in the infancy of the edition. Well, we're not even a year in yet, are we? Let's face right. it. Right. No, we're not. We're not in a year. We've only had Libra Imperium, what three months? So there is very right. few games of that has actually. We don't even have all the armies people. released. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> no, you start to do. I'm aware of it. <laughs> Where is my militia? I'm gonna start right. like camping out. Remember that the Simpsons that where. where uh, Bart won the elephant, and then he started camping out in front of the uh, the, the radio station, um, uh, chanting, where's my elephant? I started doing that in Nottingham with where's my militia. <laughs> I think you should. I think you should. Yeah. Yeah. 
like I said, uh, we decided not to restrict it this time because I think we still need to see how it shakes out to see if it actually needs restriction. Um, so that's kind of where we're going. It's definitely on our radar. We're definitely going to be watching it closely. Um, one of the things that we've done with this event is uh, we have quite a bit of sponsorship support. Um, like I said, we have Death Ray. We have a company called Brutal Cities doing some terrain for us. We have uh, Spellcrow, Artel W, um, Tortuga Bay. Uh, they're all actually listed on the website, all of our sponsors. They've sent us tons of support that we're going to be giving away at the event. And one of the um, ways we're going to be giving that away is kind of at a judge's discretion. We actually have a remembrancer role that one of our event organizers is going to be playing. And he's all of his job is, is to walk around and be looking for, you know, cool stuff happening in the games, the most memorable, um, you know, thing that happens and all of that. He's going to be looking for that. And his other job is to give away prizes to cool dudes. Guys that have to play Fury of the Ancients and don't get salty about it are cool dudes. So yeah, that's cool. We'll I mean, it's, it's really interesting how you're leaning into a remembrancer theme because that's also what's happened at LVO as well. So it's really nice that people are looking at in-universe ways to, to look for how people can win those prizes or highlight those, those big in-game effects. So... How many players have signed up for this? Because obviously, we'll, we'll we'll talk about Adepticon ticketing maybe. Um, but oh how my. many people have you got signed up over a weekend? So uh, we sold w- one hundred and seventy-six individual tickets with one hundred and three unique players signed up. Okay, so is that something that's incredible? More than one day. Okay, that that is an amazing numbers. I can't even it's, get that into my head. I can't even. It's not even all of it it's it's so humbling because that's only my events that we're talking about here that doesn't count zach paget and dan dusek which are also great guys that doesn't count their events like the tag team that doesn't count arthur alex's uh fate of beta garmin the finale of his beta garmin campaign that doesn't count jason ticks uh apocalypse kind of game thing that he's doing oh yeah the 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 I believe it's ah. notorious bag we actually had to increase by almost 50%, and then we sold that out too. What would be really interesting, and I'd love to have you back after Adepticon to talk about how it went and have kind of like, it's not a debrief, but so I can live through yeah. the event. I'm, I'm quite sure I hope I'm going to get lots of messages from JB this time as well. But I'm happy to. Is to find out how many of those are new Heresy players that have invested in, in the last nine months since the plastic drop set officially dropped version two officially dropped or how many of them are continuing heresy players i'm really interested because with alex was saying it was roughly 50 50 wasn't it at lvo is that right jp do you remember yeah. that yeah, I yeah. That. so it'd be interesting if that's the same for adepticon as well but yeah it's i mean it's amazing i mean the uk obviously we we have our game events in the uk but nowhere near those numbers didn't you guys just run adeptus titanicus that was like huge 100 players or Oh, yeah, was 48 at, at tables Beachhead. or something. Uh, yeah, at Beachhead last weekend, we had a that's Devil's Titanicus, and there was the 28 mil v the Titan Owners Club as well. So, yeah, that's incredible. But the last thing I actually wanted to say about the Adepticon events was, um, in total for every event, there are 203 unique players. Wow, 
signed up. It's incredible. So we sold like, I think it's like in total, I think it's like 400 and something tickets. To be fair, tag team alone has like 160 tickets because each person has to buy their own ticket. The, the doubles. Can yeah. we just talk for a second about how, how messed up, how Adepticon ticketed the, uh, the doubles yeah. uh, is. Um, for those that don't know, the tag team tournament, usually the way it works, or the, ta- uh, the, the, the team tournament, the way it works is that one of the team buys a ticket, which is good for both players. They decided not to do that this year. I'm not uh, sure who made that decision. <laughs> instead, everybody had to buy an individual ticket, and then you'd form your team. So there's a bunch of people uh, in the, the heresy community that tried to buy you know, a bunch of teams that were formed. Because usually you form your team with your buddy, and, and you, you think months in advance. Right. Um, and, and now everybody had to buy individual tickets. So there's a lot of people that only one of the team got a ticket. And then Adepticon just said, it's like, well, we'll, you know, we'll... We'll, 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 we'll slot you in with someone else. That's the, it's like, that's not the point of the team tournament. I, I do kind of agree. But um, one thing I have to say about the ticketing, the ticketing was a mess. Like it always is. I don't really want to harp on it too much. Everybody's talked about it. Everybody who tried to do it knows about how garbage it is. But if you didn't get a ticket, get on the wait list. Some of the wait lists yeah. are full. Some of the, the wait lists only allow 25 players. On the wait list. So some of the wait lists are full. But if you don't have a ticket and you're not on the wait list or you are on the wait list or whatever, if you show up at my event at nine in the morning, my events start at nine in the morning. I'm going to run a tight ship. <laughs> if you're not there at nine 15, I got to give your ticket to somebody else. I got to fill the tables. Right. I got like, I basically have to deliver what I've told, what I've said I was going to deliver. And if you're not there, I got to give it to somebody else. It is what it is. So if you don't have your ticket, be there. Maybe you'll get lucky. I know there are many people that are accidentally double booked for things or they go out the night before. Maybe they imbibe a little bit and then they kind of miss the morning. Unfortunately, it is something that could potentially hypothetically happen to someone. Right. To not show up to their early uh, morning game. Right. And this is another actually, reason uh, why we start at nine instead of eight. In all seriousness, though, um, this is the biggest advice I give to people uh, going to Adepticon, especially the first time, is that if you didn't get into your event, um, don't get too stressed about it. It's not going to ruin your, your 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 trip. Just show up, and there's a pretty good chance you're going to be able to play in the event anyway. Yes. Unfortunately, um, well, fortunately, we're back in the Nirvana ballroom. So we have our oh, private really? ballroom. We got a separate room again? Yes, we have our private ballroom and a second uh, boom. I didn't know that. Is Golden Demon is displayed on the other side of the wall. So right outside the Nirvana ballroom will be the Golden Demon display. Okay, cabinets. so same place it was last year. I believe so, yes. I yeah, wasn't okay, there, yeah. but I think so. Yeah, yeah, okay. Oh, that's wicked. Because last year they, they so stuck that'll be us really cool. next to the, uh, the vendor hall. And like we we were stuck, yeah. uh, like the whole heresy community, we were kind of stuck um, with all the with Star Wars Legion and X Wing, mm-hmm. and and they had like a booth and they had like uh, like um, uh, like sound systems and everything like that, and and we were still louder than. <laughs> yeah, that's what I heard. You guys got yelled at for being too loud. Yeah, um, but we were right next to the vendor hall, so yeah, we get our own. That's probably that's probably what we get our, our own room again. Well, it's it has its it has its positives and it has its negatives, right? Um, we're limited to 56 tables in Nirvana. Okay. 
which we've completely filled. We're going to be nut to butt. Uh, that's awesome. I'm so, so happy to hear that. That's good. But at the same time, if you're planning on coming, you better bring your little cart with your little stuff on it because there's not going to be any place to put your stuff. Sorry. I wish it wasn't like that. But we had an outrage with the tickets. So we decided to just fill it up. Yeah, no rage. Yeah, people were not happy about the tickets, you know, selling out so fast and all oh, that. Okay. Like that. Yeah. So we decided to, instead of, you know, we try to fit as many people as possible in the events. And we have done so. Um, we are 100% at capacity. And we can't expand out of the room because of the Golden Demon. Maybe in the future we'll be in a new ballroom, a bigger ballroom, and we can go bigger. But as of right now, this is as big as it can get. That's fair enough. So if we go back to the actual event and talking about the actual games. So in terms of missions, for example, you've talked about the armies. In yes. terms of missions, are you doing straight rulebook missions? Are they taken from black books? Are they ones you've made up yourself? Yes. All of the above. <laughs> All of the above. Um, yeah, we, we've kind of scoured. If you If you saw my desk right now, you would actually see many decks of cards from previous events with you know, scribbles on them like, ooh, I like this mission and old school seventh edition, you know, books with the missions in them, like what's it called? Altar of War and something else. You know, so we've kind of been scouring, looking for missions. We scoured the exemplary battles, the black books. So each mission, each table will have a bespoke mission. We're not going to run any, I don't think we're going to run any book missions. So the main event has uh, 24 tables. And then obviously the Zomertel's Mega Battle has its own mission. So is it a separate mission per table then? So it's not in game one, everyone's doing this mission. In game two, everyone's doing this mission. It's depending on the table you're on, you have that mission to play on that table. Cor correct. Correct. So we have some uh, we have some kind of bespoke tables. I don't want to give too much away. but No, um, no, no. It's fair enough. If you... Well, I'll just give a teaser. If you listen to the first part of our audio narrative, which JP has lovingly played for us, maybe we can, maybe at some point during the event, we're going to find out what happened to the Nahantu. Ooh. Intriguing. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. Well, we know it's not demons because we haven't got rules. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Damn them. So, um, but yeah, each, each table is going to have a bespoke mission, and some of those missions may actually change during the course of the event. But I figured that um, players are not going to come back and play on the same table that they already played on. So having each table have one mission doesn't detract from anyone's experience. No, and that's really nice as well, because we know certain missions tend to favor the attacker or defender as well, don't they? So depending on how that goes, that can give a very set skewed results to an event. Whereas where every table is doing a different mission every you've got that real fog of war scenario coming down where you're not sure how a result's going to come out right. and, and really impact on that so i think i think that's a really good plan i really like that and it allows you to theme the mission to the table because we all know there are some scenarios up there which have a very very defined set of terrain if you don't have that kind of terrain available it just feels a little bit off, just feels a little bit strange. So yeah, no, right. I, I commend you for that. I think that's an excellent right. idea. Yeah, we've 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 gone to great lengths to make sure that like if we have a mission that has a prop, you have the prop, right? If your mission Fantastic. needs a truck, you have a truck, and you're gonna play with the little truck. 
So if we were to come back to you in, in a couple of months' time after Adepticon has done the dust has settled, what would be your one big aim and one main hope from the event? Going forward, what we really want to do is really allow the narratives, that what happens at the event to drive the next event, right? So we all talk about like narrative gaming and how that's like what we really want to do. Like that's a big push in the Horus Heresy community. Um, and then sometimes like you'll go to an event and they'll have like a, you know, they'll have their little paragraph of narrative like written down or whatever. And it's cool. But then it doesn't feel immersive. It doesn't feel like you're playing there. It just feels like you're playing Horus Heresy. It's not really like, we're trying to capture that feel. We're trying to make people feel like they're in the Ferex cluster, right? And we're going to do that by with the audio narratives, and we're going to do that with like theming the missions to the tables. Um, there's actually a couple more systems that we're going to be implementing that I haven't even talked about yet. We have a point of a point of interest system. I don't know if you've ever heard the Australians talk about that. It's very popular over there. They have like little tokens that are on every table, and you're your units can come and interact with those tokens and the tokens when you, for, for what we're doing, when you activate a token, you can only activate a token with infantry or cavalry. So if you're bringing all tanks or fury or whatever, you can't interact with this system at all, but you'll have a choice. You can either, you can either draw from a deck of archaeotech or you can draw from a deck of NPCs, which are like, Dramatis Personae of the Phoenix Cluster. Oh, that's cluster. so cool. Oh, I like that. That's a really nice touch. And once again, like you say, that brings the narrative into it. Because I do agree. I think it's one of the things we've seen a lot with, with events over, well, since really the creation of Heresy is they say it's a, her that it's a narrative event and then you just play standard missions or you can't really see how the missions connect to each other. You're not creating that story behind it. Whereas what you're suggesting or what you're saying is it's all creates and having that POI system mm -hmm. does increase that a little bit more, doesn't it? We're trying our best to, to kind of link it all together. Um, so the cool thing about the points of interest is we have four categories of, I'm sorry, the cool thing about the NPCs. So we have four categories of NPCs. There are loyalist NPCs. There are trader NPCs. There are neutral NPCs and there are hostile NPCs. So if you're a loyalist and you go over and you pick up the point of interest marker, there's going to be a table set up with our um, organizers at it. And you're going to take the, you're going to walk over there and you're going to be like, all right, you're going to choose whether you want to draw an Archaeotech card or you're going to choose whether you want to draw an NPC card. And the reason that we've allowed players to choose between the two in the past, we've trialed this system with where they roll and whatever they roll, they have to draw from that deck. We've allowed players to choose because the Archaeotech is pretty straightforward. Like it's a lot of one use items that like say everything that they do is right there on the card and they don't have to really like worry about how it impacts the game in a wider way beyond their little, you know, their use of it. So that's kind of like the easy mode where you're still getting something cool, but it's a little bit less involved. There's a lot less to read. There's a lot less to you know, worry about. So if you want kind of a more streamlined experience, you can pick up the Archaeotech cards and still feel like you're engaged. 
But if you're someone from like a mechanical player, that could be your or an Iron Hands or Salamanders. That could be one of your main things. You want to collect as much archaeotech as possible. Absolutely. You can so create you know, your own narrative in that way. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, we're also going to allow players to carry the archaeotech over between games. So like if they use even if they use it in game one, a lot of them are one use items. Even if they use it in game one, if they haven't lost it by their unit dying, when their unit dies, they actually drop the card. So other people can hoover it up, can they? Yep. Exactly. So your opponent or your own guys can come and pick it up. And you still can only use it once per game, like if you've already used it. But they could carry it to the next game and use it there. And if they die in the next game, they'll drop it. Other dudes will come over, pick it up. You get it. If it's That's still there nice at the end touch. of the game, if it's yeah. still there at the end of the game, it goes away. We just can't have that much stuff, you know, going on at once. You have to kind of limit it a little bit. Absolutely, you have to use common sense, don't you? Right. But then there's the NPCs. So when you draw the NPC card, if the faction on the card is neutral or matches your faction, you control the NPC. And if the faction is hostile or matches the opponent's faction, they will control it. Ah. So, so it's a little bit of a risk, risk reward. reward. Yeah, yeah, risk right? reward, yeah. Some of the units are, I don't want to say like super powerful, but some of the units are pretty, are a little strong. So like uh, one of the units, just for an example, I'll give it away. One of the units is a Vindicare Assassin that you can get, right? That's a loyalist only card so if you're a traitor and you draw the card that law that vindicare assassin immediately comes under your opponent's control so it's still your turn so you can like assault him but he could use a reaction if he wanted to he could overwatch you yeah whatever he wanted to do so stuff like that but most it's that, it's of that the cards, thing isn't it right not, i don't want to i don't want to get too much into it but like the vast majority of the cards are neutral and that would mean that whoever picks them up gets them. There's only a yeah. couple cards that are possible to be an opponent. So don't get too scared of it. But are they adding all to the main story? Are they all adding to like the, the development of the narrative, as it were, particularly with the neutral and the hostile characters? Yes, that's the goal. Yeah. Cool. That sounds really good. Sounds a really interesting set of results. I like you say this is an ongoing one. So next year at Adepticon, we'll see this storyline develop a little bit further based on what happens this year. Yes, that's the plan. Um, also, uh, we're bringing Ferex out. Like we're not just staying in Adepticon. Um, we're going to run an event in Dallas later in the year. So that's probably going to be in August kind of time frame you know july august september uh we're in talk with a couple different venues for that and we're going to be bringing it to kansas city in the fall so that would be like october late october early november we have we have some venues we haven't quite nailed the dates down we're still we're in the crunch time for adepticon we got to get past this before we can focus on the next thing yeah yeah that's cool keep an eye out for those because at time of recording, how long is it till Adepticon? Less than a month? Uh, no, a little bit more. It's like uh, six, five weeks. Oh, okay. But we're we're doing really well, actually. There's less crunch to do this than there has been in the past when I had to paint my army. <laughs> so. Yeah. 
that sounds even really with good. all the terrain that we've had to uh we've had to paint some terrain so that's always time deal. consuming that's always time consuming <laughs> jp any yes, kind of final words from you I just, um, I'm just looking forward to DevCon now. Also, I'm kind of terrified now because you reminded me that that's in five weeks. <laughs> I have a lot of work to do. Yeah, it's actually a huge relief off my shoulders that I'm going to run so much stuff. I'm not going to have time to play, so I'm not going to need to paint an army. Huge relief. You should try it sometime, GP. Yeah, that'd be a good idea. Well, I, It's I, I much was... easier. <laughs> I wanted to talk about two more things really quick. All of the tables for the Outer Reaches are going to be open from 5 p.m. until they kick us out every evening for open gaming. And I'll leave the missions. We really can't leave the points of interest out to do the to do the architect and the NPCs except for in the event because we have a checkout system and we're going to be using those items in the Zomertals, which is going on at the same time. But if you want to play the missions that we're playing and all of that, it's all going to be available for open gaming from 5 p.m. or actually starting at 4 p.m. to whenever they kick us out, midnight or one or whatever. So if you guys want to do grudge matches, throw down with your buddies, all of those tables, there's 24 of them are going to be available. Oh, that's amazing. That's on Thursday, Thursday evening, Friday evening, and Saturday evening. We are not going to be in the hall on Sunday because they're actually judging Golden Demon in there on Sunday. So really? we have to oh. pack up on Saturday night. Well, happy to help with that if you yeah. if, if you and, need um, help. Thank you, thank you. I will be I will um, be around. I brought a pretty decent sized crew with me, so I think we're going to be okay. But I appreciate it. Uh, the last thing I wanted to talk about is we're actually going to be running a charity raffle at Adepticon for uh, David's fiance. Her name is Hannah. Um, we have had some very generous donations. I'm not quite ready to reveal them yet, but, uh, you know, I can't really talk about them until I have them in my hands and I can guarantee that, you know what I mean? But we've had some very generous donations, so the plan is to have a charity raffle. Those items are going to be on display throughout the entire weekend. The tickets are going to be $5 a piece or 5 for 20 and we're going to be giving that away on the Saturday in the evening. You don't have to be present to win, but you will need to arrange for transportation of the items if you so we've got a little bit of a variety of items i'll go ahead and spoil it or tease it <laughs> hopefully some some fully painted uh like full horse heresy armies ready to go turnkey armies wow that's so, that's a pretty big prize that doesn't even need to be pretty specific. big prizes pretty big prize yeah so like i said we've had a very generous donation from one of our local guys so Keep a lookout for that. Like I said, those will be available. Those tickets will be available there. Unfortunately, I can't really do like offsite tickets, but for everybody there, hopefully that will be a hit. And then all of the proceeds will go to uh, Hannah. No, that's fantastic. That's a really, really good thing. And again, the community, every time I find the heresy community to be incredibly generous and incredibly, um, incredible sense of solidarity whenever things like this like uh for example like uh, uh freddy's uh, uh charity for right. dmd and and this kind of stuff I, f I feel that we have such a strong community that we really look out for each other and and look out um and and we're, I, I i think there's a lot of generosity i only just announced it a couple days ago i think in the group and i've already had two or three people reach out to me and wanting to donate additionally 
So if anybody has any items that they'd like to donate that you think would be a good fit for our raffle, I mean, feel free to reach out to me. Excellent. And you know what? That's a great segue with uh, for asking you what your contact is. If you want to get more information on Ferrix, um, again, it's sold out, but it's Adepticon. That doesn't mean it's actually sold out. But if you want to get more information about Ferrix right. or you want to uh, get involved in this initiative, uh, how do we contact you? How do we get more information? What's your Discord too as well? That's You that's can, uh, yeah, if you want to email me directly, uh, you can email me at takingofferrix at gmail.com. That's takingofferrix. Ferrix is spelled P-H-Y-R-I-X um, at gmail.com. You can uh, get in our Discord. Like I said, we're running a giveaway. Um, I haven't been monitoring it while we've been recording, um, but we might have actually hit our 100. The, by the time the episode goes out, we might have already done the giveaway. But that's Ooh, lovely. Okay. There'll be a link in the show notes for our website, which has links to all of this stuff. We have our own Facebook page. We have our own Facebook group. The Discord's a little bit more active than our Facebook group, but there's also the Adepticon Horus Heresy Facebook group. We're also very active in there. Excellent. Thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about uh, about the event. Uh, this sounds uh, fantastic. And uh, even for those that won't be able to attend, I think some of the ideas that you threw out there are, are really going to be appreciated uh, for for those that might be that might be stuck in uh, in, in in perfidious Albion during Adepticon. Yeah. Yeah. But Sorry, Derek. It's unfortunate. No, We're gonna miss you. Free. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm gonna miss all you guys as well because it sounds absolutely amazing. Just for the event, I'd love to be taking part in, but. Yeah, uh, hopefully JP will keep sending me messages that I can kind of understand through the drunken drunkenness and <laughs> everything else going on. I'll try to be lucid enough to, to make you jealous. Well, it's quite nice because because of a time difference, you send me those messages overnight. So when I've got my phone on silent, so I just wake up to them in the morning. Um, Cheers, I got one more thing. I can't believe I almost forgot. I feel bad now. Miles from Little Legend Studios has signed on as a sponsor. He's going to be sponsoring... Are, yeah, you've heard of him? Have I? I, I, I kind of remember him. I think I remember that guy. Yeah. <laughs> so he's signed on as a sponsor to sponsor our most thematic armies and best painted awards. Excellent. Well, Lucas, thank you so very much for coming on the show. This was a fantastic talk. And and again, I just I, I can't wait for the event. I, I didn't know that I could be even more anxious for Adepticon, but uh, here we are. Awesome. And look out for what we're doing in the future. Maybe we can have you down to Texas or even in Kansas City. Both big airline hubs, really easy to get to. Subtle, subtle. Thank you very much, Lucas. Thank you guys for having me. We'll be right back for Tales of Heresy. Bracing his boot in an articulation frame, the pacifier corporal clambered up onto the raised platform of the assembler line where the Imperial pilot had been restrained. The corporal was muscular and thick-set, bred to hold a pacification shield or intimidate a crowd, but he was almost ridiculously small beside the captive Imperial. His head was as broad as the pacifier's torso. One eye had been replaced with an augmentic as big as a man's fist. An additional set of large and complicated mechanical systems protruded from the back of his head, where skull met spine. It looked distinctly uncomfortable. His skin was pale, blood loss perhaps, but Decca thought it was probably just the way he looked. The warrior's biology showed remarkable tolerance to wounding and capacity to heal. The injuries from the crash were already beginning to re-knit, and despite having both arms crushed under industrial clamps, he somehow managed to look taller even than the hour-old picks Decca had received from Central Command. 
As the pacifier took up a position by the Imperial's head, Decca took the ladder to the regular platform. Pulling out his sleeves, he walked to the Overseer's parapet, overlooking the assembler, and in the bright underlighting of gem diodes and flat-lined radium-painted gouges, squinted down. The pacifier slapped the Imperial across the face. Again. Left. Right. A harsh clap that rang through the emptied manufactory. Another strike in the prisoner's eye snapped open. He grunted, pulling instinctively on his arms to smack the pacifier down. And then the pain came. Decca saw the moment. His face went ashen, his eye quivered, throat tense as if considering the worth of crying out. But then, just as quickly, the moment was gone, the pain crushed. Remarkable. Could it really be possible, he murmured, a perfect gene-crafted warrior. Then, realizing as he was designed to realize that the question was rhetorical, did not answer. Decca thought of the testosterone-fueled hyper-rages of the warrior castes, the emotional deficiencies of the enforcement castes, all linked to the desired traits of obedience and dispassion, and even the myriad congenital defects that had been deemed acceptable compromises to his own gene line's mental powers. He peered down as the pacifier withdrew to the shadows at the edge of the platform, hand hovering over his sidearm. The captive stared coldly up. Remarkable. I'm sorry about the restraints, the stare didn't waver, and your legs. I am told they had to cut them from you to remove you from the wreckage. The pacifier unbuckled the hip holster that held his repression mace, but Decca urged him to stand down with a thought. He smiled briefly. It felt good to be powerful again. It was almost worth destroying a world for. The Imperial watched the pacifier backpedal, then turned his eye to fix on Decca. I will tell you nothing. The voice was deep, with a faintly metallic resonance. Not even a residue of pain. I think you will. He sneered. You mean to torture me? I hope not. As you see, I am an old man, and time is pressing. I am not like you. I do not feel pain as you feel pain. Let us begin with that. Spreading his hands along the flaking metal of the parapet, Decca leaned over, as if it were the weight of his mind that pulled him forward. Subliminal keys turned in phrenic locks, and with conscious permission his mind opened. His thoughts expanded. As a glittering energetic plasma he perceived them, violet-hued and electric, unconstrained by aging biology or arbitrary physics and eager to touch everything, feel everything, know everything. He gathered in his thoughts and focused. Susceptibility to the subtle temptations of the universal other had been bred from his line over thousands of years. He felt a singularity of purpose as the full weight of his thought fell upon the Imperial warrior's mind. They hit an iron wall. Along trembling umbilicals of pure thought, he felt his mortal body respond. Remarkable. The warrior's mind had been structured, deliberately one would have to conclude, to be resistant to just this form of incursion. Its layered defenses hardened further by a startling, superhuman instinct simply to resist. Lips pursed in concentration, Decca bade his mind press down. Let us begin with that, he repeated, his voice a purr of sub-hypnotic insinuations. What are you? Alright, welcome back to Tales of Heresy. Today's Tale of Heresy is a palate cleanser episode in between um, our series on um, our, our series of series. Series? It's just series, right? Yeah. Anyways, um, our series uh, <laughs> on the main if series. You think about my, my vernacular language then. How dare you? <laughs> okay, so this is a break between uh, our series on the main series. Okay, look. We're doing, <laughs> we're doing a Primark We're talking today. a Primark novel. We're doing a Primark novel nice. today, yes. Because <laughs> they're short and easy to fit in 
between our main novels. Yep. And, and they usually have like one major theme, one major thing that we need to discuss. And, and that, that makes it possible to digest them in one in, 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 in one segment. So today we're going to be doing the Ferris Manus one. It's Fer- uh, Ferris Manus uh, Gorgon of Medusa, which I was thinking about this today. Is this thing really just like bashed all the Greek stuff in, in, into, into one? Oh, <laughs> yeah. The Gorgon of Medusa. Be- between f- There's something funny about that. There's something kind of goofy that I like. Yeah. But, but between the Iron Hands and the Iron Warriors, there's a lot of Greek going on, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Considering considering the Greeks were Bronze Age level of technology, it's, it's quite amusing. Someone had someone had a bachelor's degree in, in classical studies <laughs> at some point um, in, yeah, in, they in, wanted, in the they planning. Wanted to flex. Yeah. yeah, they wanted to flex on that. So come on then. So summary. How would we sum this up? Yeah, do you have a do you have a brief summary? I I have maybe one, but Go you're on, usually you've gotten pretty good at these, so I'll, I'll give you first uh, first shot. Oh, so I was going to go for the ends justify the means. Yeah, that's not bad. Uh, mine was more, uh, huh? Ferris man, this is kind of an asshole. Yeah, now I've, that, let's kind of dwell on that for a moment. Which I I, I, I didn't see coming. No, who would have thought that? We haven't had much Ferris literature, have we? Let's be honest. With good reason, because he does kind of bow out quite quickly at the start of Ferris. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. He gets uh, he, he gets one book. Yeah, but you know what? That's that's more than than some other Primarchs, so it's not so bad. But he yeah he gets one book. <laughs> it's called Fulcrum. It's called another Primarch's name. Yeah, but he also has turned up in some short stories as well. So we yep. have had him in a couple of great crusades. Yeah, he also shows up him. after he's dead. Remember, he uh, his head talks to Horus. Well, well, his finger. Oh, his head talks to Horus. And yep. don't oh, and his body. Yeah, his body shows <laughs> yeah. up as well. So he shows up more after he dies. Yeah, he's, he shows up more in peace or pieces of him yeah. show up more. <laughs> but uh, let's Paris. let's kind of focus on that for a moment because I thought this book did go a good way of explaining why although the iron hands are the largest of the shattered legions why they're effectively combat ineffective after his fan because they are aren't they yeah they break down into all these little all well all their clan great companies isn't it and they don't really achieve much medusum tries his best and then he's betrayed by the iron fathers I, and, I find, and again, I, I, to come back on, I guess this is because uh, we just did Old Earth a few months ago, and and uh, I, it's worth going back to that. And think it was, uh, the best part of Old Earth is that they didn't, uh, they they didn't make it a story about the art, uh, the art hands figuring it out. The opposite happened. They yeah. they were shattered, and at the beginning of the book, and they were even more shattered at the end. Yeah, and I thought this book goes a good way to explain why that happened. There's a really good quote later on. Um, oh, I'm trying to remember where it is, where it talks about the structure of the Legion or how slow the Legion is to react. Oh. It's something like only, only uh, Ferris can motivate the Legion, and even then it takes a long time for the Legion to, to move. Oh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's... um. Uh, the, the 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 legion it really is uh, uh, um, internally divided. Uh, the only equivalent legion I think is is the Night Lords, and, and for different reasons. Um, but it really is completely internally divided uh, in, in clans, and and yeah, without that incredibly powerful leader um, at the center, 
it does not function as a unit. The Legion no. does not function as a Legion. No, you, you need that strong leadership that yep. everything is rotating around, don't you? Now, what was quite a brave decision in this, I thought, was to introduce the Emperor's Children back into it because that relationship has been quite a strong one, hasn't it? That's been really strongly emphasised throughout the heresy about how close the two legions were before the Isfahan Massacre. Yeah, and it's one of those relationships that... Fulgrim is one of my favourite books in the whole series. It really is a masterpiece. I will say my only the only negative point that I have about Fulgrim is that it feels that I would have liked more development of that relationship uh, between the Empress Children and the Iron Hands because it is a weird relationship and you know why the team did it. Well, well uh, McNeil wrote the book, but you know, the, the, all these books are kind of like a team effort. And, and we know from the backstory that Fulgrim kills Ferris Manus. So how do you fit that in? How do you turn that into a story? And the most interesting thing to do is that they were the closest of brothers. But then you have to kind of like retroactively figure out why that is, because they don't seem to be two people that, and a lot of this book, they, they talk about it multiple times, that it's not obvious why they should be. There's a part where it's like, you you, you would have assumed Perturabo would have been a closer friend uh, to Ferris, but no one likes Perturabo. Uh, but there, there, there is, even though they, they come at it in two completely different ways, they're both see, see perfection as the highest value. And, and that brings them together. They they get each other. Yeah, absolutely. in a way that and no one else, no one else gets Ferris Manus. No, no, and that's the thing is that he's very late. Even his his own sons, his command cadre, don't really understand him that well. And that's very clear in this novel. And the novel picks up, and the time this is set is around the Ulanor campaign, isn't it? It's there's lots of whispers that one of the Primarchs is being made going to be made War Master. Oh, I think it's a bit earlier than that, because um, at the end of the book, they find Jagatai. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I, I think but, so. Um, uh, uh, well, we know the date. It's um, it's roughly 50 years before Istvan. Yeah. But it's certainly Ferris pushing himself yep. forward as a leader of the Great Crusade, isn't it? Um, and him wanting to prove himself. And the book starts off, going back to the Empress Children, with war games between the two legions, isn't it? But these, what I found really interesting is, is not what we'd expect war games as Legion versus Legion. They've actually mixed the two Legions together, haven't they? So they've put members of the Empress Children in with the Iron Hands and vice versa because they're learning from each other's tactics. Yeah, but you don't really get that at, at first. You only learn, it really, it, the, the beginning of the book's kind of jarring because uh, they're talking about like, oh, uh, this uh, unit got uh, cataphracti played for the first time. Um, but they're also fighting the Empress Children. So it's like, okay, when is this? Yeah. Um, but then you find out after it's, it's like war games. Um, uh, and, and there's a similar story too. There's a, uh, an Ultramarine short story uh, somewhere. Yes, which is when, they're, when they're testing out the Codex of Star Wars, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's and, their and, first and, run through, yeah. And you're reading it and it's just like, wait, is this an actual battle? And, and then you find out later it's war games. So you have war games and the Empress Children wind up, you know, Doing very well. Humiliated. Yeah, humiliated. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> Let's put it where it is. Because that's how Ferris phrases it as well, isn't it? Yeah. Is that his legion was humiliated. I mean, he's really scathing to them as well, isn't he? He's, he's as you'd expect, and this is kind of the, the first inkling we get, that 
he's not that nice to his sons, which we've seen before. And, you know, we've got return of characters that we've seen before, you know, most of who don't get off Istvan. The Empress Children characters are brand new, aren't they? Uh, well, except for, well, no, Demeter, is, uh, is is he in this or is he just a replacement? No, it's, 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 yeah. Ar- they only mention it yet. Yeah, Archijuana, isn't it? But you've got Gabriel Santa, who's in there, and but that's pretty much it. Akordana is a really interesting character. Akur, yes. yeah, So Akur Dwana is a, an emperor's children. Um, he he he's captain of the second company, and he's assigned to because uh, this is still in the point where the emperor's children um, are not large enough to operate on their own. So there's a second company operating with First Manus, and then the bulk of the legion of what's left of the legion after it's a gene seed. Uh, their, their gene seed failed or something like that, right? With the Empress Children, yeah, it had yeah. a huge cataclysmic failure, wasn't it? So yeah. They're, so they're down to less than 200 at one point. Yep. So the, the, the bulk of the, so the, you have a company operating with uh, Ferris Manus's expeditionary fleet, and then you have most of the Legion that are, while this is happening, they're at Bolic, uh, operating with the uh, Death Guard, the Sons of Horus, and also the Emperor. Yeah, because like, still... the Emperor's leading the attack on Bolic for, for reasons that we know later. Yes. Purely good reasons. Yeah. Um, but, but here we go. I found the quote. I found the quote. So, Ferris, of the completion of the exercise, and this gives us such an insight into his character, I did not propose this exercise with my brother in the expectation of seeing my warriors bested. It was to demonstrate my legion's prowess and, by reflection, my prowess. It seems that the third legion has much to teach us. Yeah. Um, then one of them protests, and Ferris turns around and says, there will be no next time. Um, while you're engaged on Vesta, word received from the old Marines of the 413th Expedition, our brothers call for aid. So, and that leads us into the compliance action that is the focus of the novel, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so, what ends up happening is the Ultramarines get themselves into a pickle. So, yeah. So, so we start off at this situation. They get a, 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 you know, they're doing their war games and they're not really, they're, they're, you know, they're, they're not in a compliance at the time. So, they get a call for aid from the Ultramarines. A very small expeditionary fleet with only like, like a million soldiers, like Imperial Army and and uh, yeah, you you like get two thousand. I think there's two thousand Ultramarines and thousand yeah. Sons uh, in that expeditionary fleet. Yeah, and you get the impression it's also a lot of Imperial Army. It's it's a focus on Imperial Army, isn't it? Yeah. So and they're, 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 they're 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 involved in a place called Gardenal. You want to talk a little bit about what Gardenal is? Yeah, so I've actually just looked up. Now, what's also interesting is this is also, this campaign is also in the Black Book for the Iron Hands. Really? So book, book two, is it, for the Iron Hands? I believe it's Black Book two, that. if you've still got a copy. Yeah, so you've got the official history of the Gardenelle campaign in the Black Book, and then this is the novel of the Gardenelle campaign. And I didn't... Good call. Yeah, the, the, there's some in- interesting kind of similarities. But Garnel itself, um, a solar empire, got 11 worlds. Um, the planets run from very kind of s- solar system. So you've got a, a hot Jupiter of Quintus to the sunless nitrogen glacier of Undecimus. Uh, sorry, Several hundred moons, several thousand larger asteroids, densely populated and hyper-industrialized, which is what the Imperium wants. 
isn't it? We yeah. find out quite clearly that the whole compliance action behind this is that they want the technology and the industry which is already present. Partly yeah, the ultramarines have, spe- have specific orders. The the yeah. emperor wants this taken intact, and at the very be- um, and this is the other thing that we learned at the very beginning is that there, there was wiggle room to negotiate the terms of compliance. So there yeah. were negotiations that took place. And as you'd expect in one of these old pre-compliance empires, there's a lot of dark age of technology. Yeah. So, so like you say, there is very, very clear need that these worlds yeah. want to well, need. Yeah, and it's important that we belabor this point. <laughs> yeah. That there were, the emperor had given intact. orders. Yes. <laughs> and we don't often hear this, do we? We don't often get this. It's very few times we have in the heresy novels that the emperor directly gives word or the imperial court gives word that we need these systems captured intact or as intact as possible. What is also interesting that we discover is that they go in for a lot of gene craft as well, don't they? Yeah, it's a really interesting... Honestly, for such a small novella, and, and and now that you remind me that um, there's stuff about it in in the black books, it makes more sense. But this is very well done. The world building is fantastic. It's one of the reasons that this is one of the, it's probably my favorite primer book so far. Um, uh, it's uh, uh, um, so it's 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 a very so there's there, there's the, the 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 high lords of Gardenal. Now the high lords of Gardenal are not really human anymore. No, they've developed beyond that, haven't they? Uh, yeah, we do see some later on, don't we? We do see some later on. Yeah, so essentially they, um, they, they're they they're immortal because they downloaded their consciousness into into like a robo-body. So there's like nothing human about it. It's, it's more than Mechanicum, right? The Mechanicum still has uh, um, uh, flesh. Oh, this also ties into the flesh is weak, eh? Because they have no more flesh. They're just robots with like yeah. a downloaded, uh, a downloaded um, uh, consciousness in them. And, and they're essentially immortal. Uh, and and they've kind of like there's a there's a ministry of uh, of uh, of eugenics um, and that 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 sort of breeds humans into like necessary forms. So they're not like gene they're not using uh, gene tech like space marines. They're they're just using selective breeding to make, for example, perfect soldiers that can fight in the void. Yeah, they've got a different caste system. Is it? Yeah. It's like a caste system, isn't it? Or like the Mimbari. But like more complex, it's more than like three. Yeah, because there's a lot of genetic breeding going on. So they've got an actual um, psyker. Yeah, there's psychic, yeah. For what if a bad word? Like you say, there's zero G ones, which have got multiple limbed bodies, so they can move, and they're a little bit smaller as well, aren't they? We discover. But it's really interesting, and I think this is one of the aspects of 40k, 30k that I really enjoy, and we don't see much of, which is the gene crafting with the Astartes. We see it all the time, don't we? Mm-hmm. But it's only really in Legion with a Gene A52 that we see that we talk about. It. And also recently in Necromunda with the Goliaths talking about gene crafting a lot more. And I think there's such an underdeveloped storylines going through the universe that haven't been tapped into fully. So I was really pleased to see that the Garden now are this very high-level technology. Um, they've also got still access to lots of atomic weapons as well, yes. they, which is important. Because they're not afraid to use them. So maybe we could talk about what happened uh, for the uh, um, with the Ultramarines. 
Okay, so the Ultramarines uh, were in charge of this expedition. They sent uh, a um, like negotiators, um, and 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 the the Gardenals sent their own negotiators, and they were negotiating other terms of compliance. Um, and and so apparently, what happened? It's not very specific, but apparently, what happened was uh, one of the because uh, when the Gardenal would do negotiations, they always use psychers. Because why wouldn't you? Well, yeah, it seems. And and that's that's the way they they went into it. Uh, they they went into it. They set their psychers to like probe the minds of the Imperials, because why wouldn't you? It seems obvious, and for them it was obvious. And the Imperials didn't take kindly to that, um, and slaughtered all of them, <laughs> except for one yeah. guy. One guy survived apparently. Always um, leave one alive. It's the classic yeah. Imperial message, isn't it? Always yeah. leave one alive to tell the message. So they they didn't take kindly to get a mind probed uh, by the Gardenal, but the Gardenal. For them, it was completely normal. And, and they, they mentioned this later when they're trying to explain themselves. It's just like, this is how we do things. We didn't, sorry, we didn't have, we didn't know in advance that you didn't use your psychers in negotiations. Why wouldn't you? I mean, I don't understand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the Imperials did not take that well. Um, and plus there were thousand sons involved. So what the hell? But anyways, they didn't take kindly to be mind probed. Um, and also the, the, the Gardenal were negotiating, but didn't really want to give up their autonomy. The, the Imperials were probably asking more than the, 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 the Gardenal were, were, were willing to, to offer, um, at that point. What a, what a shocking idea. The Imperials yeah. asking for more. Yeah. They didn't just immediately surrender. Um, so then what winds up happening? The Gardenal lure the Ultramarines into a trap. Not just uh, the Ultramarines, a whole bunch of the Imperial Army. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah, like half a million Imperial Army soldiers as well. I wish, yeah, that's kind of important as well. So this giant army gets lured into a trap, um, like lured into a battle, uh, uh, and, and, and the Imperials think they're winning, and then they, they just get, like, nuke. Like, I think they drop, like, dozens of, of, of atomic weapons on them. Really humiliate an admittedly small expeditionary fleet. Uh, and then the Gardenal thought they won and that's when the Ultramarines send a, a call for aid and Ferris Manus uh, picks up. He picks up the phone. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's when he realizes that he wants to get involved because he wants to use this to, poo- to kind of push his reputation more, doesn't he? He wants to use this to demonstrate that he is a strong, capable war, war leader and that his legion is one of the more advanced yeah. legions. Well, because the thing is, uh, um, um, uh, Rabel Gulliman isn't too far away. He's like two weeks away, um, and 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 the 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 bulk of the Ultramarines are on their way to Gardenal, and but Ferris Manus, his smaller force can make it there quicker. And they're like, well, just let well once again, we just let the... Gulliman do it. I mean, it's his sons that fucked up. He that does the classic. This pickle. Again, doesn't it? He does the classic that he does on this fan. He doesn't take yep, exactly. the whole of the expeditionary fleet. He takes. The clans, because they organize their chapters by or their companies by clans, don't they? So he takes the ones which will organize themselves faster to get to the Gardenals ahead of Gilliman. So once again, we see that mirror of why he acts the way he does at Isfam, because as we'll see here, his risk kind of pays off long term, partly. And at Isfam, it clearly doesn't. But but he's acting once again very strongly on emotion, isn't he? He's a very emotional primarch. He's not very rational when it comes to matters of war. He's easily goaded. He's easily 
baited in. Now, one of the things I do think I'd, I'd be interested to hear your views on this is I do think for such a short novel, there's too many point of view characters. Yeah, I think that's if, a good point. Because you've got, well, you don't get Ferris. Ferris is discussed, but you've got Gabriel Santa, you've got the... Um, like the diplomat? The, you've got the Gardnell diplomat, You've then got the Imperial Army Medicaid officer. Yeah. You got you've got Moses. You've got Moses as well. Yeah. You've got a fighter pilot amongst the Iron Hands. And that, that's Moses, isn't it? Oh, that is Moses. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. And you've got um, the Emperor's Children, Archie So, in such a short novel, there's a lot of first person perspective. Yeah. And I think the novel does suffer slightly particularly in the middle section from that. However, out of all of those, I think my favourite was the Imperial Army Medicaid officer. It's a good character, but I'm, I'm going to disagree. I, I, I think it was that um, like Decca, the, the diplomat, the Cardinal. Yeah, now isn't it interesting? That character was great. Two, two non-Astartes characters. Yep. I think it's because they're more relatable. I mean, the Medicaid officer for me is your typical... Ground down. I mean, he's a guy who's come out. He falls time, asleep in front of Ferris Manus. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I love how he becomes the commanding officer for his regiment because he's the highest ranking officer who hasn't been nuked. Yeah. Oh, it's just brutal too, and, and I, I do appreciate because uh, you you don't get a view of the battle. You get the, you see the aftermath of it, and they're and trying it's to horrific. treat. Yeah, yeah, they're trying it to treat is... everybody for radiation poisoning. Like what? Happened? Yeah, because they got they got. They got nuked hard. The only other time we've seen warfare hit an Imperial army quite like this is in the Siege of Terror books. Yeah. Where it's the only other closest description we've got. I mean, at one point, they're reducing the amount of painkillers they're given out because they recognise, because he's, they're running out of painkillers for starting, they're running out of rad, um, anti-radiation medication. And... The, the, the Medicaid officer turns around and says, well, we'll just stop giving it to those who aren't going to survive because we haven't got enough. He's yeah, triaging he's a gag. Yeah, he's just triaging them to such a high degree. And there's a lovely bit about the um, Thousand Sons librarian whose power armor was so radioactive, even if the Thousand Sons apothecary weren't going to take him out of his suit because he would get killed. Yeah. Oh, yeah. just, that shows us the level of rad damage that is coming down on these guys. Again, I, I love the Gardenal. I wish, I wish they would. I wish they would have made it. I was kind of, I was, I was kind of going for them. Um, We've seen that with a couple of these compliance civilizations. I remember you kind of going, "Oh, I'm really hoping." Kind of yeah. the, Ful the Fulgrim novel is very similar. You're like looking at the planet, going, "I kind of hope they got through it." Really, oh, the lair? No, no, it's in the Primark mm. novel. Same Primark novel. Okay, so Ferris shows up, and 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 uh, um, at this point, also let's talk about Decca for a second. Decca is a very interesting character. So um, after what happened, it didn't go well, uh, and and he was supposed to be, um, I guess, when you're no longer useful for the Cardinal uh, civilization, uh, you 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 get like you get reprocessed. Yeah, I mean, did you remember the old show from the '90s, Lex? Kind of, yes. It's really a Canadian-German show. It was real weird. It was like three seasons, which was which were pretty good. They did a fourth season, which was awful, uh, and and they canceled it. Um, 
but yeah, this is kind of thing uh, that they had like a protein bank. I oh, know, like a, I don't remember what it was called, but uh, essentially, like they they would process people into in, into like goo that could be useful um, down the line. When uh, the uh, Gardenal decides that you're old, you're too old, that you're not contributing enough. Essentially, you get you, you. They move you to Gardenal Prime, and 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 they process you, and yeah, they. That- they they make you. I'm assuming like some kind of soiling green kind of thing. Yeah, I, I, that's the way I imagined it. I, it. The way I got it was you get to a certain age, and then or you're no longer useful, and then you are reconstituted for what you can add to that gene strand. So, Decker will his genes will be reused to strengthen that gene pool. That that's the way I read into. I can't read into it. Yeah, something like that. It, it, it's, it's kind pretty of dark. given us. Yeah, it is pretty dark. It, it's a very good. The Gardner are a very good grim, dark civilization, aren't they? They're, they're very oh, yeah. 30, 40k. No, there, there's a lot there. So let's get to the actual compliance when Ferris arrives because he's not the happiest of Primarchs, is he? And who does he blame? Well, he blames the Ultramarine guy. Yeah, absolutely. He absolutely just tears into him. I yeah. mean, it turns out you let yourself get pulled into a trap. You you um uh, you didn't notice that they still had air superiority. You you, you missed their entire uh, air fleet, um, and 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 look yeah, how they, I mean, like nine hundred ultramarines were killed in the atomic bombing in the trap that you let yourself get stuck. He's he's very mean. This is what he said. This is what he said. Yours is a lesser expedition, Ferris said. But you should have had the manpower for the conquest of a single world, except that your landing craft came under fire from atmospheric fighters that you had somehow failed to detect or anticipate. Your auxiliaries were left stranded, and in numbers they were inadequate to repel the armoured counter-assault that followed. In response to the Cardinal's offensive, you led a combined force of Ultramarine, Thousand Sons, and a demi-legio of the Legio Ataris oh, to drive them back to a walls, which... To which Vagarnell had answered with saturation atomic strikes, <laughs> which, again, you failed to detect or anticipate. It's very much that teacher talking down to a pupil, isn't it? It's that very much you let yourself down, you let your legion down, you let your Primarch down, but most of all, you let yourself down. Yeah, it's, it's quite the dressing down. But it's well-deserved. I mean, he really messed up. It did not go well. Yeah, he, after so that, he, the Cardinal, the, the, the Cardinal were—they they thought they won the war. It's uh, th- th- there's a, there's a point when they just kind of assume. Well, there's no way they have more space marines. It's like impossible. No, I mean, he, he actually first lists off the casualties. So half a demi legio of god machines lost, <laughs> five hundred thousand army dead and rotting, eight hundred and fifty-six dead or incapacitated Astartes, 301 with gene seed lost or too thoroughly irradiated for re-implementation. This is a calamity, Chapter Master, and you dare stand before a Primarch to dishonor your dead with excuses. It's so brutal. Ferris doesn't hold back, does oh, he? No. He really doesn't. But to be honest, rightly so. Rightly so. Those yeah. casualties. I mean, if that was 40k, that's an entire chapter of Space Marines wiped out. Functions. Yeah, this is the, 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 clearly. Yeah, this is a mess. The, uh, but like credit where credit is due, Gar- the 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 Gardenal, they they set a trap, and it won't be the first time. Uh, it won't be the last time, I should say. Um, <laughs> they're they're wily. This is a very 
dangerous opponent. Yeah. And I, 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 think the, I, I think the, the Ultra means that, that, that original expedition, they took him lightly. Yes. They thought it was going to be a, uh, a cakewalk, and it definitely was not. Yeah, absolutely. They, they are massively underestimating the enemy. And an enemy that's willing to use atomics on their own planet. Now, we know a lot of other compliance worlds have had access to atomic weapons and nuclear weapons, but anyone with any sense doesn't unleash that shit unless you can possibly avoid it. Whereas the Gardner are just like, bring it on. Yeah, it's, so you, uh, it's, 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 it's a brutal fight. It's, so it's what, is, what does Ferris decide he's going to do? He's in charge now. Entered, he's obviously not, in Yeah, not entering negotiations is his first step. His second step is to just bring about complete compliance, isn't he? He's unleashing all the Iron Hands en masse with all the remnants of the, um, emperor, all the, remnants of the other Imperial forces. And he gives them the glory of taking the spear tip as yeah. a way to regain their honor. <laughs> What's less of the Ultramarines get to get to uh, 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 rehabilitate themselves, get to uh, expunge their uh, their their failures and blood. But also, he decides that remember he had orders. <laughs> there were orders that Gardenal was to be taken intact, and and he changes the orders. Uh, and he decides that Garnel Prime is to be destroyed as a warning to others. And they're yeah. like, and well, hold on, we had orders. It's like, <laughs> are you telling me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I was are are say, you giving me orders? Pulled, he's pulled up on it, isn't he? He's, to be fair to him, his command cadre and uh, the Empress Joanna uh, uh, do call him up and say, but my lord, the Malkud <laughs> said we should be capturing this. He's like, I'm a Primark. What are you going to yeah. do? Really, what are you going to do? No, this is his way of doing the war. He uh, yeah. and that's the he, he does not do compliances. He mentions that he does, I, I don't do compliances. I conquer. All right, my job is to conquer. It is not to like take something intact. If I'm here, it's to conquer. And what's quite interesting as well here is we do still have the original Terran chapter master, don't we? we yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah we do he, still have to. He's still wearing his thunder armor, eh? Yeah, because they modified it, didn't they? So he he can use it in atmosphere, so or in in vacuum. So he's still using his Mark One Thumb drama. God bless him. And obviously, he steps down when when Ferris appears. But normally, there's a bit of tension between the Terrans and the Homeworld Astartes, isn't there? And you do get a little bit of that. Duquesne isn't happy that Ferris is breaking the Imperium's orders. But he's still following them along. He's still going to agree with those. Well, he's not agreeing with those orders, but he's going to follow those orders because that's what's expected from the Nostatis. Yep, and the orders are that uh, that uh, Gardenal Prime is to be uh, terminated. And so, how, how do you how, how do they go? Uh, because by now, uh, with the combined fleet, the Gardenal do not have the kind of void fleet that they would need to to defeat the Imperials. They essentially have space superiority, and and so. They just bombard Gardenal. And, and so the fleet is in like a stationary kind of orbit. And, and they're just bombarding the planet as the planet turns. So within one day, like one one rotation, like the planet has, 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 has been has, has been completely uh, destroyed except for one fortress. Absolutely. So he, narr- he narrows the focus of a battle, doesn't he? He brings it down to a single settlement. But what's also important is the Garnell just aren't taking this, are they? And this is where 
Deckard's plan comes yeah. in, storyline comes in more, doesn't it? Because yeah, he's on a ship um, that somehow managed to survive uh, getting attacked by Imperials. Uh, so Decca is, again, he's supposed to be the negotiation didn't go well. He's of no more use to Gardenal. He's supposed to be reclamated, I assume, recycled. And then uh, one of the, the, the guards is like, oh, uh, yeah, we have another job for you. And they bring him to Gardenal because, um, well, they decapture space plane. The, the, the yeah. they kept they kept Moses. so yeah. as the iron hands are landed to deal with this final settlement moses is one of the casualties brought down in the aerial fighting because there's always going to be aerial combat as he's piloting a xiphon and he gets shot down yeah and, and and so they they have to get it so he gets captured by the cardinal uh they have to cut his legs off to actually get him out of the cockpit and so they bring Decca in to because it's psyker so to figure yeah. out what the hell the what are the imperials and and i find that part so intriguing because for us, you know, like a space marine is whatever we, we know what a space marine is, but like they've never encountered anything like this. Like, what are you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the conversation between Deckard and, and Moses is really interesting, isn't it? Because it takes him a long time. It takes Deckard a long time to break through the defenses. First of all, we we know Astartes are to a degree sheltered against psychic mind reading to a certain degree, and it takes a long time to to kind of push down his resistance doesn't it and but they just don't understand it's like it's literally what have you done to yourselves how how are you even anywhere near human yeah but at the same time he's intrigued it's like oh this is this is this is crazy like this is like completely like, uh, like gene uh, engineered uh soldier because they again they don't really do that they use more like selective breeding so yeah. they're, they're they're fascinated by by this thing he's trying to get intelligence from him and eventually he breaks him so uh, most starts talking he explains, well, the, the, the Primarch is here. It's like, what's a Primarch? He's a commander, right? It's like some kind of rank. Um, and that's when uh, Decca gets gets his idea of how to how to maybe win the war. Yeah. So what does he do? He surrenders. He yeah. just turns up to the medical center where our Medicaid officer is based and just surrenders, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah and he gives the most back. He, yeah. And he asks to speak to the Gorgon. He asks to speak to Ferris, doesn't yeah. he? Well, not only him, because um, uh, who's the Lord of, of the Garden all that comes with him? That's oh, in command of this um, area. Lord Strachan. Ah, uh, yeah. High Lord Strachan. Okay, High Lord Strachan was about to move his, his headquarters away from the fighting, but uh, no, he instead agrees to to surrender. Because they figured out, oh, okay, so everything is, is based on a pri- primary controls everything. What Decca discovered about the Imperials, the Imperials are have a very decentralized kind of split up command structure you have different like you know you have the, the astartes you have the imperial army you have the imperial navy but fundamentally it all comes down to one person and that's that's the primarch so they figure that out uh and you should probably surrender to this primarch to yeah. save many lives and i like how the fact they're using the high lord as well so similar to structure to the imperium but when they go on board the primarch's vessel because it's not their um Gloriana, is it? Which is interesting. They impound as many of the weapons of High Lord as they can work out, but they don't disarm the um, beam weapons because they don't recognize them as weapons. Yeah, that so, would be important. You know, that would be important. But it's once again highlights. Yeah, they're, they're, they, should, the they should get. They have gamma ray blasters. Can we just talk about how cool that is? That is like my favorite thing in the whole book. Is the goofy pulp sci-fi it, like, it's weapons a very that they classic. have. It's a very classic sci-fi. The gamma blasters going on, yeah. Gamma blasters, rad, and lots of rad weapons. They, they clearly yeah. like their atomics. 
So they bring him in, and and yes, he wants to to, to meet with uh, with Ferris Manis to uh, to agree to terms of surrender. They walk into Ferris's uh, Ferris Manis's throne room, and that's when he trans <laughs> he transforms. Yes, <laughs> he was more than meets the eye. Turns out he he was, he really was, and it's yeah, he just unleashes everything, doesn't it? There's loads chainsaw blades there's beam weapons which quickly get taken out because ferris is using the hammer isn't he he's using yep. his his famous hammer which later on we know becomes in the hands of pertrabo and unwieldy but at the same time like the, 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 this other guy that's with decca this is decca's plan assassinate ferris manis and then we could win the war and, and so the assistant also had a bomb in him yeah yeah, so the assistant, which is on the ship that brought him up, explodes, doesn't he? And takes out a whole yep. load of Iron Warriors at the same oh, time. Hands. Iron, Iron hands, Warriors would never yeah, let him. <laughs> no. um, and then at the same time, the High Lord is attacking Ferris. Yep. But also at the same time, Decker is using psychics against Ferris as well, isn't he? So he's slowing him down, wearing him down, trying to do that. And... The fight doesn't go well for the High Lord, does it? No, they kind of assume that, like, they never had a war 2,500 years. Um, and they mentioned this, that, but no one had ever defeated a High Lord. They just kind of assume that, like, okay, however powerful his Primark must be, like, there's no way he's more powerful than this, like, Robo-Man. Um, I imagine, like, some kind of General Grievous kind of thing, right? Like, he's, he's a very powerful individual. Yeah, he's also got three legs. So it's, it yeah. reminds me slightly of Necron stuff as well. Little, yeah. There's a few reminds. But the psychic attacks are basically all of Ferris's deepest, not fears, but concerns. So he he, remind, he remembers fighting the Great Worm back on Medusa. He thinks about Rogel Dawn judging him about losing his temper so much, doesn't he? Um, what other fears does he have? There's, there's quite a few others, isn't there? But he's basically taken the High Lord apart piece by piece. Oh, yeah. He, he, he breaks them good. Um, yeah. And, 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 and so when he finally smashes the High Lord, um, or Strachan, and then you have Decca kind of like in, in a corner, um, and, and it's like, wow, I, <laughs> I thought that was going to go better. And then he, 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 and as Ferris like kind of approaches him, he's like, well, I, I should thank you. The, the last few days have been, and then it got splattered against the wall. Done. But it's my favorite character in, in, in the story. I, I thought Decca was, Decca was great. It's an interesting gamble. Didn't work out. It, no, it wasn't. And it does make you wonder if a different civilization with slightly higher level of tech had done this, would could they have succeeded? Because Ferris sends all the guards out of the room. You know, he, he decides to take on this High Lord by himself. And the psychic, obviously, he is being affected by the psychic. So he's slowing him down in the fight. It does allow the High Lord to get a few hits in. But clearly, it's not up to Primark level standard stats, oh, no. is it? We would, so it is a good gamble and it could have paid off. And, you know, and one of the things I think we need to recognize about the Garden now is they're not afraid to sacrifice some of their most important assets in an attempt to win. Well, yeah, we saw that in the past. How many, how many of their own troops were, were, were destroyed in the, you know, the atomic trap? Yeah. Uh, yeah, they, they, they are. Well, again, this is a formidable opponent that the Imperials really took lightly. And, and that's, that's the kind of the disaster of the whole thing. 
I, and I wonder, does does this happen to anybody, uh, to, to another primer? I, I think some definitely happens to Gulliman. He's, he's naive. I, does it happen to Horace? I don't think Abaddon steps out of the room. Horace never meets with any other civilization by himself. That's true. No. Yeah, like a Luke Cetere. <laughs> wind up dying yeah, no, yeah, he's, he sends other people. Yeah, he said, find a speaker in Mark yeah. IV play. Perabo, um, that one, had, like, Perabo never let that guy in his room. There's something about Ferris that he needed. The, the idea of, yes, I, I I want their surrender in person. I want to see them humbled. And and that wound, wound up being the problem. Yeah. That put him in that put him in trouble. His his need to to one up and show his strength, show his power, to humiliate his opponent. Because yeah, you're right. Horace doesn't fucking take that surrender ceremony. <laughs> you can surrender so they look centered. Well, Horace would have also brought the Gardeners into compliance and secured all the technology. <laughs> that yeah, that's yeah. the other thing. But that's but again, um, this is not. I, I do not want this episode to be shitting on on, on Ferris Manus because at the end of the day. Ferris, it's like Angron. You're not. You can't be mad that Angron you, destroyed the absolutely world. Absolutely not. No, no, absolutely not. Like that's Matthew what Angron was going to do. Yeah, absolutely. And Ferris is going to do what Ferris does. And the fighting is really vicious on the planet. As, as, after this attempted assassination, yeah, that's right. Because there's one. There's, there's, there's still one city that's void shielded that they can't get get yeah. at. Right. Absolutely. And now all the fighting is around that, isn't it? it it's now focused on the fighting. It's getting horrific. You've got multiple casualties amongst the Imperial Army who you do get the impression aren't very happy in how they're being used because you are getting the impression that the Imperial Army are just being thrown over walls like meat shields while the Astartes are focused on the more strategic targets. Oh, it's even worse because Ferris's big plan because they can't they can't take the Void Shield out but what they can do is uh, eradicate the air in it. No, and they do send in like a little commando force as well, don't they? Yeah, um, it's to, to take out the command center again. The civilization has the weapons that they need. You know, they they have these giant like tripods, like out of War of the Worlds, that can only be taken out by a titan. It's a, it's a brutal battle. Yeah, but eventually, uh, but eventually, the the Gardenal realize that they are going to lose. And the thing is, they had countermeasures. You know, this is this was a a civilization that was fairly militarized, but they never thought they were going to get attacked from outside. And this is one of my favorite parts of the whole book. The Gardenal, the High Lords of Gardenal, assumed that any threat would come from within, so they had lots of weapons trained on their own planets, kind yeah. of like what President Clark did at the at the end of the uh, Earth Civil War. Yeah, uh, it's very much a case of, well, we need to deal with our own internal threats. So we'll put the big systems that only we can control. And all the High Lords, it creates a balance of power amongst the High Lords that as well, doesn't it? Because one of them can't move against the others because they know the main weapons are trained against them. Yep. So it, it does create a, well, it, it's that whole mad theory of Cold War, isn't it? It's mutually assured destruction. So that's what they, they do. They, they turn the weapons on themselves. Yeah. Uh, on Gardinal Prime. So while Ferris is there trying to take this one city because he wants to destroy Gardinal Prime as a warning to others, well, the High Lords of Gardinal are preparing to destroy Gardinal Prime. And as the a warning impact to of that, yeah. the impact of that, isn't it? The, the devastation amongst the troops. I mean, we talked earlier about how Ferris rips into the Ultramarine commander about the number of casualties. Dear God, the number of casualties amongst the Imperial Army because of just the shock blast and pressure wave. Yeah. Because when those weapons hit the voids and the voids pop, 
we've seen before in novels about when voids go, they go with. But that's the, that, that's the Iron Hands attack. That oh, was yes. the Gardenal's attack. Again, he caused Manus caused probably like a millions of deaths. Yeah, but to achieve the because, objective, and that's all that matters. And that's it. And that's why I said at the start, the ends justify the means. Yeah, because yeah, I mean, the Gardenal realize there is no surrender now, don't they? They realize that it's gone too far to peacefully surrender. The, the Ferris is not going to accept them. So they sort the earth, don't they? By turning their own weapons upon themselves. Sure. They, re- they realise that, well, we'll just take as many people down or as many of the Imperials down as possible. But, but, admittedly, the Astartes do figure it out. Yes. Well, more specifically, uh, Hero Empress Children. Arkajuana. So he manages to get to get at the command uh, station that was like that, that was controlling the satellites that were about to like destroy the planet and, and definitely kill Ferris Manus. He wants to get uh, get on top, and no one can figure out like how do you get up? There? Yeah, like look up what? Look up there! Like what? what, what how do you get up there? Um, when he managed to take out the uh, the command dish, first put himself in, into a few pickles in this one. Well, we're early gratefully safe. The, the Astartes feel invulnerable at this stage, don't they? Yep. They, they oh, there's some arrogance. There, there's some arrogance here. Yeah, there's mad. I mean, the Iron Hands are arrogant anyway. Ferris is extremely arrogant. The, the, the Empress children have went on their path towards the highest level of arrogance because nothing has come across. Nothing can really help. Yes, they take casualties, but nothing can stop a legion. Yep. So they destroy, destroy the planet. Ferris successfully conquers the place. He and, brings and... the system into compliance. Now, the question is, before we kind of round this off with a final scenes between Ferris and Archiduana, let's kind of focus on Ferris's actions. Normally, we can look at a lot of Primark actions and go, yeah, that was justified. may not agree with it, but it was justified. This is one of a few instances when I was reading this, and it's just like, at no point is Ferris justified in what he does. I, I, I can't disagree, and, and I don't want this to be uh, a show where we're attacking the Iron Hands, uh, because I, I really like them. I like Ferris Bennett as a character, but... Put it into context, people always have a go at the Iron Warriors for using their auxilia as meat shields and throw, and that trudging way, way of war. That, that First World War started warfare of just throwing bodies into meat grinder and wearing people down. Well, in this book, Ferris is far worse because he knows what he has planned. He knows he's going to be doing that orbital strike. He knows the casualties that are going to be caused by that. He also knows the kind of weapons that the Gardenelli use it. So he could have kept the Imperial Army units more in reserve to preserve them as much as possible and use the Astartes as the spear tip because they are more able to deal with that level of warfare. He even sends the Ultramarines and the Thousand Suns in at the front, knowing they are likely to be killed, but dressing up as a way that you will regain your honour. So he is extremely callous in this entire series or in, in this entire novel. And there's, like I said, I just don't think he can justify his actions. I don't think he cares. And that's the important thing. He is there to conquer and he will conquer. I will say, th- I will say this though. Ferris didn't even need to be there. <laughs> Gulliman shows up two weeks later. And, and I hate to say good things about Gulliman because you know how I feel about him. But the reality is, you, there, there probably is a negotiated uh, solution to this problem. But yeah. no, Ferris has to prove his strength. Who is stronger? I need to show how strong I am. And what's interesting there as well, 
What's really interesting there as well is how would other Primarchs have dealt with this? How how would ever other Primarchs have dealt with this situation if they'd got there sooner? Angron shows up. I mean, you wind up with something similar. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Nighthunter. This looks like something the Nighthunter would do, right? Like, yeah, he's really talking like Conrad Curse here about destroying a planet as as an example to others. That's that's some Nightlord shit. The, I think the difference is. Um, I think the difference is Nighthaunt would have only focused on the High Lords and bringing those down and then scaring the population into compliance. I don't think it would have caused the same level of dam- damage. I think the Night Lords would have kept the technology even if the Gardenel themselves had been removed. Mortarian shows up, he virus bombs the planet. No, oh, absolutely. And- and because then the industry's still there, so he still followed his orders, right? He can go back to his father and say, "See, look, I I saved all the industry, like you said." Um, he doesn't crack the planet open like like Ferris. Horus, Horus is a consummate diplomat, and that's one thing that people always uh, misunderstand about Horus is that probably his most important trait is as a diplomat. No one else could have rallied half his brothers to to rebel against the emperor. So I, I think Horus solves this problem without. Again, without cracking the planet open. Yeah. Uh, Perturabo, eh, I think you wind up with something similar. I think you would have, maybe not with so much devastation. Mm. Lorgar would be an interesting one. Yeah. Lorgar would be an interesting one. Um, the two Spec Ops legions, the, the Raven Guard. And, yeah, yeah, they would have taken legion. out all the High Lords. Yeah, That's it. And, then, and then just brought down the structure, the, the social structure. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, yeah. I think, like you say, all the Primarchs would have dealt with it in a similar way. I don't think there's many which would have come out covered in glory. But we're here talking about Ferris with this. And it's interesting at the end because you have both Gilliman turn up and Fulgrim. And that conversation at the end between Fulgrim and Ferris is quite intriguing because it d- is laying that the groundworks of that future relationship, isn't it? It, it really is one of those like prequel kind of things that uh, that, that again builds on. Okay, why are they so close? Mm. Um, and, and I think it works. And that's what I like about this, and I think it works even better than what I admitted was one of my favorite books, uh, Fulgrim, because you 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 get why uh, they're so close. Um, and and uh, the quote is the best quote for this is when Ferris tells uh, Fulgrim, "You only ever see the better part of me." Because yeah. we've spent the entire book seeing the bad part of it. Fulgrim, however, I, I, I think Ferris is, uh, acknowledges, like, you know, people don't like me. Except for maybe my, my own sons. But Fulgrim oh, sees the better part of it. Uh, Ful- it was Fulgrim emitted a whisper of muffled laughter. Ferris glared, you are not imperfect, brother. You are. His eyes turned up as if he's seeking for a word amongst the stars beyond the great arch windows of a hall. Say special, and I will hit you right here in front of everyone. And that's, that says it all between their relationship because Ferris wouldn't be having that conversation with Gilliman. At no point do they actually interact, do they, Gilliman no, and Ferris? Not at all. And this whole thing was him saving uh, the Ultramarines. Uh, well, saving. <laughs> he did get most of them killed. With whatever, they, glory, they had failed. Glory they had failed that. horribly and like, okay. No one, I, that's the other thing I like about this book though. No one really comes out of this looking great. Apart from the Empress children. That is fair, yeah, I, I agree. And the Imperial Army come out of it well because you just feel so sorry for the Imperial Army. 
you know, they, they talk about some of these regiments are were formed or, or in the soul system or fought in the unit. Some of them had fought in the unification wars. They're not the old 100, but they had fought in the unification wars. Um, they've followed the Great Crusade and they are just obliterated on this campaign. So you do have to feel really sorry for the Imperial Army in this. But we haven't seen much of the Imperial Army, do we? We often have a mention, but it's quite rare for us to have an Imperial Army perspective until we get to the Siege of Terror. Yeah, the Siege of Terror does a fantastic job with that. And you're right, outside of Legion, can you think of too many books? I think Vengeful Spirit has a lot of good stuff about uh, about the, uh, the the Moloch Guard. Yeah, but that's more of Knights as well, isn't it? It's, yeah. it's not, it's more than it's knights, not yeah. so much. You, you do get a few bits of the Imperial Army, loyalist Imperial Army trees, but it's very limited on this game. It but really, yeah, really gets to a loss in the damned when you really start seeing like the horrors. So come, come and talk to me after Echoes of Eternity. All right, all right, all right. And how would we round this off then? How would we round this Primark novel out? I will just say that I've read a bunch of these, and this is my favorite one. Uh, I think it's fantastic. Uh, the world building is might be some of the best world building of any of the books in the series. Uh, as far as creating a, a believable and different civilization that's also grimdark as hell. Phenomenal. Uh, Ferris, uh, it makes, again, a character that doesn't get a lot of screen time in this series because he dies so early. Uh, it makes him a very interesting, dynamic, uh, layered character that you don't usually get. He's a complex character, and if I say that he's an asshole, I don't mean that. It makes him an interesting. He's, it makes him interesting. He's yeah. He's not an asshole for being an asshole's sake, is he? He's an asshole. He's not like a mustache twirling villain. He's no. I, I think he's awful, but I'm intrigued by him, and yeah. I, I, I want I want to know more about him. It makes me like the character. Yeah, I would agree. I I there's there's certain primarchs I don't don't tend to like, and I've I've purposely read their primarch novels first, Fulcrum being one, Ferris Manus being another, and in both those novels, I've been really surprised at how much I've enjoyed those books. Probably because I've gone in with lower expectation, possibly, but certainly with with Gorgon, um, yeah, Gorgon producer, the world building. And the interactions between the characters made this novel for me. The, the Gardenel are fascinating. I'd love to read more about the Gardenel. I wonder um, what happens to them. Like, I, I would imagine they are just wiped out over time. But, you know, I'm, going back to this novel, I really enjoy, I enjoyed it far more than I thought I would. I think my only criticism about it is too many characters. Too, and too many point-of-view characters. It could have easily cut down some of those characters. Um, but in terms of the story, it's much more complex than a straightforward compliance action. That's good. Tyson Death next. Excellent. And we'll be right back for Two Dollar Challenge. Welcome to the end of the show. And we're going to talk hobby now. We always do at the end of the show. Um, this is taking us up to the weekend of the 18th of February. Can't believe we're already almost two months in to 23. Um, hobby. JP, let's start with your hobby. What hobby have you been up to? Uh, I actually got a lot done recently. Uh, and not only don't Damn look back. Me. I did do a little bit of don't look back. Everybody knows that. I'm, 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 I'm having a lot of fun with this little slasher indie. So I painted Not Freddy. Not Freddy Krueger. Uh, no, it definitely wasn't anything from our nightmare. Definitely not anything that's that's you know um, that that is the intellectual property of 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 I think New Line Cinema. Oh, it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but anyways, 
Uh, whoever owns the rights to Freddy Krueger, definitely not Freddy Krueger, but no. let's call him Dream Master. I paint a Dream Master for uh, yes. Don't Look Back. Uh, this is a, a model that I bought back at Adepticon, and of course, I was I was going to buy it. So uh, I, I painted another uh, another uh, killer, and I painted two uh, other characters for, for Don't Look Back. But uh, I also took Miles' painting class in Montreal a few weeks ago. And by the way, everybody, uh, um, I, I hope that some, uh, some people uh, uh, that are listening to this that were at the class, uh, I think everybody had a great time and learned a whole lot. Um, it, went, it went well enough that apparently there, um, uh, the store, uh, La Desse, is doing it again bringing Miles again um, uh, to do to do uh, another uh, painting uh, class in Montreal. So for those that missed out, you should get another chance, and we will definitely let you know. Uh, watch the and space. I have, and I have seen pictures of your Night Lords, they, the, your testers that you did in that painting session, and they, they do look really nice. Well, yeah, uh, and it's one of those things that I needed that uh, to get my Night going. So I uh, I painted a Leviathan uh, Dreadnought for my Night Lords, uh, my Cornate uh, Night Lords, so late heresy. I put uh, corn symbols from the old uh, Chaos Marine uh, kit from like the nineties, <laughs> like really old decals. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm using them on my Night Lords, and I figure Ooh. that uh, the I guess the the Warband's uh, commander, uh, the Red Ripper, uh, he he saw the symbol in a dream, <laughs> and that's good enough for me. As you do. Uh, do you want some of the new World Eater decals? Oh, I do. Okay, you have any? Yes, I do, because that's basically my hobby. But we'll, we'll come back yeah, to well, me in a moment. So. Excellent, yeah. I mean, I'm right now using like really, really old decals that, like, no matter how much micro set or micro sol I put on it, it's they're they're just old, right? They're just so thick; it's almost impossible yeah. to get the outline of the decal off. Still looks good, uh, but yeah. So I did a Leviathan uh, dreadnought, and I painted uh, my first uh, um, uh, Night Raptor. So project is moving forward, and I, I think. The class, I, I think it's what I needed. Yeah, I know it's been like it's been a while. I know, but yeah, the class is what I needed to to kind of get that project into gear. Uh, I, I won't be able to get the whole army done uh, before Adepticon this year, so I'm going to be bringing my Iron Warriors again. I'm sure everybody at Adepticon is. Yeah, but you know what's going to happen? Of seeing Adepticon, them. Adepticon is going to really fire you up. You're going to be really yep. buzzing from the back of Adepticon. You're just going to come home and you'll have bought another indie game and get heavily into that because that's what happened last year. It just didn't happen. In the other year, it was Man of War. There's always yeah. like one. There's always like yeah. something that happens. Um, always something. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what uh, what I wind up getting dragged into. Um, but yeah, so I, I did some, some good progress in the past couple weeks. How about yourself? What like thousand things did you do? Nothing. With good what? reason. With oh, good yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I actually, a couple of, a few weeks ago, I had an accident. And I badly damaged, as in fractured my shoulder. So I'm currently in a sling for several weeks. So no physical hobby for me. I've been buying. I bought the new World Eater models, the new Berserkers, because I want to use bits and pieces of those kit bashed in my Sons of Horus, especially the chain axis for my Reavers. Um, I bought the new Guard Codex, and I'm waiting for some Rough Riders. But that's it. That's all my hobby has been, and reading. I've been reading so much because I'm off work and can't do anything. So no hobby for me. So it's all down to you. You're running the hobby for a podcast. Well, I'm, I, I don't know what to say. It's, it's, it's very rare, rare to be put in this position. Yeah. Yeah. I had so many plans as well because it was over our half term. Yeah, but you were so you, you were so ahead of everybody. <laughs> I mean, it's not a competition, yeah. but I mean, yeah, I think a little break, a, 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 give me a chance to catch up. 
Yeah, yeah, I am. I, I'm doing it for you, really. That's that's all. I thought I know what I'll do. I'll knock myself out for six weeks action and just let JP catch up. That was my there entire plan all along. There we go. Very kind. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you made me spend money on Bandcamp. Yeah, I do do that. Yeah, yeah, you do do that because you keep did, sending me bands. Go. Listen did you get the uh, psychic hood? Psychic hood and warp stormer. <laughs> yeah, warp stormer was excellent, eh? Yeah. And Warp Stormer, because they're South London, they're not that far away from where I live. So I'm keeping an eye out. Oh, if you get to see them live there, I'll be I'll, I'll be profoundly jealous. I should know that Soul Grinder is um, presently crowdfunding their new albums. So you can actually pre-order it uh, and help them actually put it out. It's still, uh, it's uh, the pre-order is going till March 1st. So you can find that at marrowgate.com um, and find... Uh, um, uh, the, the pre-order for Filth Encrusted, which is going to be the next album from Soul Grinder. So, uh, and I'll put a post on on our uh, on our Facebook page now that you remind me. But um, Soul Grinder, awesome, old school, new wave of British heavy metal style metal. So, uh, it, it, if you want pre-order a record, pre-order a tape, uh, well, support uh, support Warhammer Metal. Today uh, we will be playing uh, Terra Kaput Monday. The song I'm going to play is Corpse Upon the Throne. It's just, just it's the glory days of, of, of Warhammer Metal. They're, we find a new one every day. It's amazing. Yeah, and we so, should be sponsored by Bandcamp by this stage. Yeah, this point, this point yeah. <laughs> so that was it for 132. What are we doing in episode 133, in the next episode? Um, Death Guard. Death Guard. We have David coming back to talk about his preferred Legion. I'm quite interested in this one because... Um, Pete, one of our gaming group, is just starting a Death Guard Legion, so it'd be interesting to try and get an inside curve of how I'm going to have to deal with those. Um, and for a novel, I think we're starting a new series for a novel, aren't we? That's what we said. Yep. We are going to be starting uh, our series on Titan Death. We have two books left in the series, and then we will have done them all, which I don't think any other podcast has done. We're, we started well, in 2050. Done, we started this in 2015. So yeah, it took us a little bit. We've certainly done the main series. We have a few anthologies we need to cover. Yes. So we've done the main series. Books. So if we're doing Titan Death, does that mean we can talk Adeptus Titanicus on the show? I think we should. Yes. You know how long I've been waiting to talk about Corrupt Titans? Yes. Well, no. So episode after next. Death yeah. Next episode, that's going to be in one third. The episode after that is Corrupted Engines. <laughs> right. We're on. Live, live episode planning. Talk. <laughs> there we go He's, he says we don't plan these episodes <laughs> <laughs> alright so that was episode 132 as usual thanks for listening
Impersonal.